Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Trumpers, the Uber Maggers, the Maggers, because I see so many people jumping ship here, ladies and gentlemen, and I've told them all, don't swim to the SS, never Trumper, Rhino, tugboat that I've been for years, because I don't have enough life rafts, I don't have enough Oh, we're going to get into that later on. This is right out of the Godfather. Right out of the Godfather. I don't have enough life preservers or life rafts for all these suddenly newly discovered never-Trumpers. We're going to hear from a whole bunch of them today because they're jumping out of their foxholes and they're turning on a guy that they said was their hero, was their leader in the battle. This is what George Washington must have faced at Valley Forge, remember? When they said, nah, we're not, we're not crossing the Delaware River in the middle of winter. We're freezing our tuckers off. We're going home. And just think, I was the, really the first never Trumper. I was the first person y'all called Rhino. I didn't mind it because if you've ever been in Africa as I've been, I got guardian angels in Cape Town. They have the animal preserves there. Everybody stays away from the rhino. The rhino is considered the fiercest. Even the elephants stay the hell away from the rhinos. Man, they got that big horn in their front. And when they come charging at you, everybody leaves. So I'm digressing from here because I'm looking at the landscape and I'm seeing all of these Trumpers, or at least so-called Trumpers, abandoning ship. On Donald Trump, Alan Mar-a-Lago has said Tuesday he's announcing, special announcement. we got to assume he's announcing he's running for the Republican nomination again. He's got a subpoena he's supposed to uh, respond to tomorrow by the uh, committee that's uh, set to execute him uh, up on Capitol Hill before they're limited in terms of uh, the swap over in which the House is ever so slightly apparently in the hands of the Republicans, and they're saying, we'll get you, (laughs) my little pretty Hunter Biden. And, oh, by the way, where is our president? He went from uh, Egypt 
to Cambodia, the haven for pedophiles from North America and Europe. By the way, he thanked uh, Colombia for hosting uh, the effort in Cambodia. Said it twice. Mashuk, Ubats, all the furniture upstairs rearranged in the wrong rooms and then ended up in Indonesia. My God, this is like every day. Every day. But I'm wondering, uh, since I have the Frank Morano crew, you know, we got uh, Frank Morano, the Mamaluke, who's probably on his way into the studio here. By the way, has he jumped ship yet? I remember uh, Frank Morano attended one of the very first meetings when they were trying to urge Donald Trump to run for governor as the Republican candidate to take on Andrew Evilized Cuomo. King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo. King Cuomo I, who has been reborn. He's had an epiphany. He's like the vampire who's constantly coming out of his grave, claiming now he's a law and order Democrat. Yeah, 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 sure. Author of the no-cash bail who called ICE thugs and who said, hey, if you kill somebody at 16 or 17, we're not going to charge you as an adult. You're juvie. Has everybody forgotten? Of course, because Cuomo, pretentious, they think that all we do is live from five days to five day cycles and then we forget. There were stunards. And in some instances, he's right. But he can't bamboozle me. Oh, no, he can't bamboozle me. So I'm intently going to be listening this morning, 1 to 5, the worst side of the other side of midnight with Frank Morano to see if he, too, a two Brutus. Have you jumped ship, uh, Frank Morano? Are you uh, all of a sudden swimming in the direction of DeSantis land? Or as Trump calls him now, de-sanctimonious. Isn't this odd that I'm the one who's actually saying, hey, wait a I don't want you here on the good ship, uh, never Trump. No, no, drown out there, drown. Look look at these headlines. Look at these. Wow. These fake, phony, fraudulent fagazes, right? Look at them. Don't believe Trump. This midterm miss is all because of him. Excuse me. I remember uh, all the candidates begging, beseeching Trump, please choose me. At Bedminster, down in Mar-a-Lago. No, 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 me. Donald, you got to pick me, 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 me. Like, all like Horseshack. And welcome back on it. Pick me, pick me. Then afterwards, you dirty rat. It's DeSantis time. Oh, look at this one in the post. Why Ron DeSantis looks just like Bill Clinton in 1992. Hey, New York Post, <laughs> you think he's Bill Clinton. I have a feeling his wife is not going to say... I'm standing by my man, particularly if he has libido issues, which all politicians have. You know, it's salt, Peter, man. You want to run for the presidency of the United States, you got to take, take, start taking salt, Peter, in your Cheerios in the morning because you're always turgid at these rallies. You know, like, oh, look at all these, these, oh, these femme fatales flocking around me, making me feel like I'm virile. Like I'm an, a stallion. When you really need to be flaccid. Trust me. It worked for years in prisons and in the military. Salt Peter and everything the candidate eats. It'll keep him out of harm's way. Now, you believe this? <laughs> Again, the New York Post. 
Man, you don't want the New York Post as an enemy. I've had them as enemies before. You don't want them because there's no such thing as, okay, enough is a pile on, avalanche. You see, they build you up to knock you down, tabloids, and especially the Post, uh, the world's number one tabloid. New poll finds Ron DeSantis has a seven-point edge over Trump in the 2024 presidential primary. Now, I'd like to break down the analytics here. Where did they find these Republicans? At country clubs all over America? Walker allies believe DeSantis would be a better fit than Trump on the campaign trail as he is running against Warlock. No, it's not Warnock. It's Warlock. This guy, yeah, he's the reverend, right? But to me, he's like, he might as well be a witch. You notice he can't fire at Walker, Herschel Walker, because he's had some of the very same problems. Remember remember his wife? 5050, he's an abuser. He's, he's a ladies' man. He's chasing trim. Notice you got to be real chill about that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Reverend Warlock. All your stuff stinks down there in Georgia. Uh, Republicans worry Trump will inject himself in the Georgia Senate runoff. That's an understood. The emperor of chaos has no clothes. Ding dong, the Don is dead. No, 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 that's Long John Silver, Long Don Silver. That was Clarence Thomas. Remember when he was a law student at Yale University? I think Hillary and Bill were going there at the time. And what did he have, a pubic hair on a Coke can? Remember? That freak. Oh, I, I love Clarence Thomas. Right after the repeal of Roe v. Wade, the idiot said, Oh, by the way, we're coming after gay and lesbian marriage. And yes, marital contraceptives. Clarence, you mean no condoms? No condoms for you. What about interracial marriage? Well, I forgot that. How convenient. What a schmuck. What a putz. All of these folks. That's why you see the introduction. What does it say, right? Matt Blaze, fugitive from justice with all those aliases. Curtis Lee would trust no politicians. I don't. I do not. <laughs> and after after all these flip-flops, oh, excuse me, in the words of Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, the pivoting ships, you know, which are really flip-flops. Look at all these Republicans who are like treading water out there. And they're swimming... To the SS, never Trumper, that I have been El Capitan on for years when they disparaged me and they tried to sink my boat. And now they want me to take them on board. Let's start first. It was like moments after the midterm elections were over in most parts. Who came out firing at his very dear friend, longtime friend, Bo Deedle. Just like savaged, savaged Donald Trump. You like it or not, Sid, I know you're a big Donald Trump supporter. I know him a lot longer than you, and I know him 40 years. His condescending, his narcissistic ways are the things that people hate, even in the Republican Party. Now you go to DeSantis. You want to knock DeSantis? He delivered Miami-Dade, was totally Democrat. He was able to get to them because he's a good manager. He managed as that state wonderful. you got a president in there. We talked about it yesterday. The Secretary of State Blinken, fool. Lloyd Austin, fool. You have uh, Alexandria, whatever the hell they say. Butchin, Janet Yellen, Merrick Garland. He put a bunch of fools in there. It's like running a business. 
DeSantis can run a business, and he doesn't have that other side of him where people dislike. We have to get a moderate in there. You don't understand. So many of my Republican friends, which who are loyal to Donald Trump, hate his guts. Uh, DeSantis is a moderate? <laughs> Since when? DeSantis can run a business? I don't know if he's ever, ever run a business. I was milking cows up there in northeast uh, Florida. That's cow country. He ran for Congress, right? He ran for governor. He's only in his 40s. What business? What a business was this guy in? The business of politics, which is, can you uh, give me a hamburger on Tuesday and I'll gladly pay you back on Thursday? That's the only business he knows in getting wine dined in pocket line. Oh, he's the golden child. He can do no wrong. Ron DeSantis. It's like all of a sudden the cult. But this is typical. Student teacher, right? The teacher has taught his student well, and now the student moves to usurp the teacher. The problem is this teacher don't want to go. And on Tuesday, I have a feeling we're going to hear... Former President Donald Trump, uh, as you can see, all the mattresses down on the ground in Mar-a-Lago, they're stirring the marinara sauce. They've hit the mattresses, the Trump family, and they're ready for war. They're ready for political war. Roger Stone, by the way, I know Roger Stone was summoned to Mar-a-Lago. I know that uh, to be specific. He lives over in Fort Lauderdale. This guy lives on the dark side, Roger Stone. He's a swinger. He's been a swinger for years. He's been in all those clubs where freaky deaky stuff goes on. He's got his ear to uh, everything Caligula. If there's anything about DeSantis that's a little, just slightly off of center, he will find out about Mr. Perfect. Right now, Ron DeSantis, Mr. Perfect! We know nothing about this guy. Right? Hey, hey. hey. I'm the never-Trumper here. I'm like, whoa, you know nothing about this guy other than he beat Charlie Chris. Charlie Chris, who was a Republican, who was an independent, now he's a Democrat, who lives in Florida, who uses man-tan, tan out of a can. And more importantly, let me advise you, Ken, since Frank Morano has a fat infatuation with you, Charlie Chris ever asked you to jump in the hot tub, don't do it. You may regret it. That's what Charlie Chris is known for. Hey, want to jump in the hot tub? And the woman says, yeah, no, not you. You, beach boy. Hey, in the tub. That's why he's got all those beards. Oh, wow, he beat Charlie Chris. Ooh. That's right. Gonna, that Trump, throw him over. Throw him over, boy. Drown. You know what this reminds me of? Mutiny of the Bounty. Remember Mutiny of the Bounty. The spies. Captain Bly. We should throw him over. We can take him. And so Donald Trump very wisely before the wedding of his daughter. By the way, by the way, with Marla Maples, I don't know how he handles it. He's got Marla Maples there. He's got uh, uh, Melania there. I, me? I can never handle that. But anyway, it seemed everything went well. But he did summon Roger Stone a few days ago from Fort Lauderdale. There is nobody in the business of politics who is dirtier, more sordid, and is proud of it than Roger Stone. 
He not only knows where all the bones are buried, he buried many of them. When you strip him down, as he oftentimes loves to be stripped down. By the way, Ken, don't be going to any swingers clubs with Roger Stone. He goes both ways and says it proudly. He look at you, Ken, and he say, hmm, prime meat there. Just wait on the side, kid. The point being is he's proud of that. And when you see him buck naked, you will see a tattoo of Richard Nixon on his back. And he'll flex. And he'll say, kid, when you were playing with your G.I. Joe dolls, I was muckraking. I'm the guy who told Donald Trump to run for president. Nobody else. And I've been there through thick and thin. And to show you how sordid, how diabolical I am. When Al Slim Shady Sharpton ran for the presidency in the Democratic primary, I was his campaign manager. The reason we wanted him to run was to destroy the Democratic Party. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, this weekend, I noticed yesterday, he was in Memphis, Roger Stone, not far from Elvis's mansion, not far where the... Memphis Mafia, led by Red, Sycophantoni and Lackey of, uh, Lackey of Elvis when he was alive, used to go out and do the nefarious uh, work of Elvis Presley against all of his real enemies and perceived enemies. There was Roger Stone in a Ford SUV, got T-boned as he was going to do a TV interview. Eighteen-wheel tractor trailer smashed into that Ford SUV. It's lucky to be alive. And you know, that first call he made was probably to the Donald right before the wedding. He said, the war is on. Salazzo tried to take me out. Salazzo, a.k.a. the Turk. A.K.A. DeSantis. Oh, there's no doubt about it. The war is already underway. They tried to take out Roger Stone. Roger Stone uh, is an intelligent version of Luke Cabrazzi. Remember Luke Cabrazzi? Godfather, I am here to tell you. Don't worry about it, Luke. You've been loyal to me. Think of Godfather. The analogies here are so perfect. When we come back, though, the list of traditors continue. And they're swimming towards my tugboat, the SS Never Trumper, SS Rhino. And I don't want them on board. First of all, we'll capsize. They're all swimming in my direction. I don't have enough life preservers and lifeboats. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, I'm a Never Trumper. Oh, I'm a Rhino. No, they're not. You would not want them in a foxhole. Let me tell you something. I've been in many brawls in which guys have told me, oh, I had your back. And I looked over and they they were gone. You imagine you're Donald Trump. You've made some of these people. You elevated them. Okay, this midterm election, it's like a gambler. Half of your picks came in. The other half didn't come in. Oh, you're a loser. You're a loser. How the hell are you a loser? You go to the track. Nobody wins every race. See, the fact is that he bets on most races. Have you ever seen ex-presidents ever say, oh, I'm choosing these? No. They stay quiet. Cheat to cheat. 
they emerged like a day or two before, like we saw them all come out for Crime Wave Kathy Holcomb. There were so many of them, they were on a platform, it almost collapsed from their collective weight. Well, Joe Biden was roaming around the streets of Yonkers, lost in Yonkers, just like the O'Neill play. Yeah. I've been an ever-Trumper, but I've been this way for years. How come so many of you are deciding to cross the Maginot Line? I don't want you over on this side. I really, I don't trust any of you the way you're swimming. You're doing the Australian crawl. You're doing anything you can to leave the good ship SS Trump. And I wonder about your motivations. I just know on a quiet street in Memphis blocks away from Elvis's mansion, a mile from the Mississippi River, that the first shot in this internal battle was fired in the attempt to flatten Roger Stone with an 18-wheel tractor trailer. And if you notice, no driver has been found. No vehicle has been found. That's how Salazzo, the Turk, worked. And then remember, he tried to have a meeting with the family. Can you imagine DeSantis saying, forget your father, Donald Jr. Forget your father, Eric. His day has come. It's over. We got who business. I run, then you run, right? Don't worry about it. As my grandfather, Fidela Bianchino, said to me, you never trust the Cheech, the Cheech of the Sicilianos, the Salazos of the world. 1-800-848-9222. W-A-B-C. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. What happened to all the MAGA hats, huh? How many of you have attended those Trump rallies? And even though I've never been a fan, there's one headline here. Michael Goodwin of The Post. Yeah, like he wrote this. Murdoch told him, you write this, pal. No, write it or you're fired. Donald Trump is now a bore? One thing I can assure you, Donald Trump has never and will never be boring. You got to read this column and watch tomorrow. And the very esteemed Michael Goodwin of the New York Post. Oh, Michael, let me <laughs> lip lock you. Oh, you say that Donald Trump is a bore. Like anybody with any intelligence would say, Michael, who made you write this? If there's one thing we know, Donald Trump, since he was birthed, has never been boring. Can you cite one time that Donald Trump was did a Joe Biden? Uh, Michael Goodwin's column. Uh, Donald Trump is boring. What? I mean, you're throwing everything and the kitchen sink at him. Remember Elon Musk walking into the Twitter headquarters with the kitchen sink? They even throw the kitchen sink at the guy. Boy, this feels odd. It's almost like I'm defending Donald Trump. 
all the nasty things they say. Oh, you're a never trumper. You're a rhino. Yeah, yeah, I said, uh, that's right. I said I've had a love-hate relationship with citizen Donald Trump for 30 years. But, no, not supporting him. Uh, I'm not supporting Hillary or Biden, but I'm not supporting, oh, you traitor, traitor. Now, all of a sudden, they're all swimming. Curtis, throw me the lifeline. Throw me the life preserver. We're swimming over to the good ship SS. Yeah, we're with Team DeSantis. We got to take out all the Trumpers. Yeah, this is like an internal war. By the way, oh, Peter King. Oh, Congressman Peter King. Oh, man, he not only threw Trump under the bus, he's trying to tweet him into the abyss. Listen to what he said the other day with Sid. Don't trust him either, Rosenberg. The fact is that uh, Donald Trump, the candidates that he selected for the Senate, almost all these guys lost. That's true. No, you're right. I'm, just, ca- I'm just kidding with you. Listen, yeah. he was an excellent president. I voted for him. I supported him. But the fact is that I think people are getting tired of that. And I think the fact that Ron DeSantis won such a big race in, in Florida. I mean, he only won by like a half a point four years ago. But <laughs> he won race against Charlie Crist. The guy's washed up. He doesn't know. I'm a Republican, independent, Democrat, like I said, Ken. Charlie Chris ever asked you to jump in the hot tub there? Don't do it. Uh, let's just say his fingerprints will be all over your body. Anyway, uh, let's go to Sid Rosenberg. The very next day after Election Day on November 8th, this is what Sid had to say. I'm so conflicted about so many things now. I mean, I felt so great about Trump, and you idiots now making me think twice, you know. Think twice. Oh, notice. By the way, you should know what's going on. Sid Rosenberg is trying to organize a sit-down between Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, and Michael Buttigieg, Rudy Giuliani. Remember in The Godfather... What Marlon Brando said, whoever set up the meeting with Barzini is the traitor. That's Sid, the Judas, 30 pieces of silver. I've warned. I've warned my Kumbada Cheech Rudy. They want to set this sit up, this sit down at Aldo's, Pitkin Avenue, Cross Bay Boulevard, the same place that Eric Ulrich, the buildings commissioner, got busted in for gambling with mob money. Don't, don't do it, Rudy. Sid is setting you up. And you know, Sid, when we come for you, you're going to ask, Curtis, come on, one time, a favor, one time. No, no favor. Sorry, Sid. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Oh, oh, look at this one. Oh, Candace Owens, right? Candace Owens. How did we discover you, Candace? Oh, that's right. You were elevated by Donald Trump. I never liked you, Candace. And, in fact, recently, uh, the guy that you were hanging your uh, bones onto with your White Lives Matter T-shirt, Kanye West, <laughs> completely wigged out. Did did Kanye tell you how he loved Hitler and the Nazis? Uh, Candace now she's turned on Donald Trump. Listen, listen to what this Venus flytrap had to say about formerly the man that she described as 
savior of the free world, the Mashiach. During a golf session with some mutual friends of ours, had a person next to him who was egging this on, saying to Trump, and I know this because, again, this is a mutual friend, aren't you mad at Candace? Aren't you mad at Candace? Aren't you mad at Candace? And eventually he was like, yeah, I'm so mad at Candace. I'm so mad at Candace. And this got back to me that he was upset with me, that he was angry at me. And the next time that I saw him, he was quite rude to me. He was actually rude to me. I'm telling you this personal story because I think it is something that made me for the first time question him as a person. So you have an individual that spent years defending you, right? And that individual gave you a completely kind and fair interview. You said something yourself that your base didn't like, and you somehow transformed that into something that I did wrong. Five-letter word that rhymes with which? All capital letters, please. Now, this is what she's mad at Trump for. Now, there are many things, many reasons to be mad at Donald Trump. This is not one of them. Remember when people were dying every day of COVID-related variants, coronavirus variants, and Donald Trump, the only one, fast-tracked the vaccine. Remember, billions of dollars went to Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, not Moderna. They they basically carried their own weight. But he fast-tracked it, right? He saved lives, maybe millions of lives all over the world. So Candace Owens, again, what's that word that rhymes with which? Uh, had a podcast that the former president agreed to appear on, and she chastised him because he didn't join the no-vax community. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He saved millions of people with the vaccine. Oh, but he he moved against his base. You know, she's swimming towards my never-Trumper tugboat, right? No life raft for you. Drowned, all of you. Bo Deedle, drowned. Peter King, drowned. Candace Owens, drowned. God, how quickly they turn. Meantime, in a quiet, isolated street blocks from Elvis Presley's mansion, where Red used to run, the Memphis Mafia. And do the dirty work, fellas. After having a conversation with the former president of the United States to plan their wartime strategy, because Roger Stone is the wartime consigliere, don't you find it odd that an 18-wheel tractor trailer out of nowhere came bearing down, hit his Ford Expedition, T-boned him, He's lucky to have survived. And he takes that phone out and he calls the Don, as he calls him, and said, the war is on. It was Salazzo. It was the Turk. It was DeSantis. W-A-B-C. Down to 
take the money and run. Gee, who's that in honor of? Take the money and run, those cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers, those Bitcoin bandits, those blockchain criminals. Led by a guy who just took $18 billion. The FTX guy looked like a 15-year-old kid at summer camp, right? Scratching his belly. You know, talking about, oh, no. You know, it's all on the legit. It's all on the, on the level. It's not on the down low. Meantime, he has escaped the Bahamas. You know what Bernie Madoff did? You think that was bad? This guy made off with $18 billion like a pirate. And I'm so happy because I hate these Bitcoin bandits, these blockchain criminals, these cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers. And by the way, who is the biggest donor to the DNC? <laughs> Never trust anybody with three names. Sam Bankman Freed. Talks like Trenton Tarantino, you know, a little bit. Oh, by the way, uh, if we can, I'd like you to play uh, number 68 because this might as well be his history. We don't really know much about this 30-year-old twit. Who really looks like a 15-year-old. I mean, who the hell? He's wearing shorts. Looks like a bum. Oh, yeah, let's give all my money to this guy. You know, like we gave it to Bernie Madoff. I want you to hear his Wikipedia history. Very well. Where do I begin? My father was a relentlessly self-improving boulangerie owner from Belgium with low-grade narcolepsy and a penchant for buggery. My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. My father would womanize, he would drink, he would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. Sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy, the sort of general malaise that only the genius possess and the insane lament. My childhood was typical. Summers in Rangoon, luge lessons. In the spring, we'd make meat helmets. When I was insolent, I was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. Pretty standard, really. Too bad they didn't beat you to death. Sam Bankman-Fried and the rest of your cryptocurrency scammers. They all donated to the DNC. And you know who made love to all of them, in fact? Had a visit uh, as he was out there in Puerto Rico with our... Police commissioner for a number of days, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan as he was getting wine-dined and pocket-lined by these Bitcoin bandits. <laughs> you know, they had been given a tax shelter on Puerto Rico. Uh, and he was accepting their money. Remember, remember, pay me in Bitcoin. How long did that last? And then Suarez, the Republican, you know, the... Uh, Siamese twin of Eric Adams. What a piece of work he is. Oh, I'm going to be the future Republican nominee, first Latino president over my dead body. So he was up here in New York, right, when Hurricane um, Ida was hitting, devastating Florida. He was up here fundraising. And so I went to one of the sessions, you know, because he he's, you know, crowing. We're going to be the cryptocurrency capital of the world. Meantime, Eric Adams is saying, no, we will here in New York. No regulations, no taxes. And then I said to the mayor of uh, 
Miami, I said to Suarez, I said, hey, how's your drug problem down there? He goes, are you uh, assuming that I have a drug problem? Well, you're drinking a lot of water. Generally indicates you've been doing a little cocaine. I'm not suggesting you have. How a thing? We don't have a drug problem in Miami. What? I said, what about Liberty City, Overtown? Oh, that's right. You and the Guardian Angels. Uh, all of a sudden, he did a pivot and shift. And he was extolling the virtues of Bitcoin bandits in the country of El Salvador, which is partially run by MS-13, the brand-new leader. Hipster millennial has declared martial laws, building a prison for 15,000 MS-13 members. You think they're waiting around for that prison to be built? No, they're coming to America. And you know what he has said? Forget the dollar, forget the peso, forget the euro, forget even the ruble. Our currency is going to be Bitcoin. Yeah, how's that working out, pal? How's that working out, huh? Maybe all these Bitcoin bandits can seek sanctuary in El Salvador. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, they wanted to bamboozle us with Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, Ponzi schemes, blockchain criminality. Three guys that I've heard from who obviously have established their own credibility in the world in terms of their ability to make money. Donald Trump, again, I'm never a Trumper, but I got to cite him. He goes, no, I like paper. I like to feel it, touch it, smell it. In fact, don't touch the $20 bill with Jackson on it. I love Jackson. Not Scoop Jackson. <laughs> uh, remember they wanted to change the $20 bill? What did Trump say? I love paper. Forget that Bitcoin nonsense. And then the sage of Omaha, Warren Buffett, said, Oh, no. What would I do with all the dollars that I have buried out in the yard? And our own John Katzmatidis said, No, 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 no. That, that's a hot mess, Bitcoin. A double oofa to all of you out there. Double oofa. Oh, he was magnificent last night on Saturday Night Live. Dave Chappelle. Oh, by the way, in the next hour, we'll talk about why the Anti-Defamation League calls him an anti-Semite. Dave Chappelle. You see, the Anti-Defamation League, they make money. Because if you are an anti-Semite, they shake you down. And then if you're not, they tell, oh, anti-Semitism is so bad, you got to make contributions to us. We do nothing. But then again... When there's anti-Semitism, we're in business. When there's no anti-Semitism, hmm, the donations just ain't there. So now, all of a sudden, after Dave Chappelle's appearance on Saturday Night Live, uh, the head of the Anti-Defamation League, Jonathan Greenblatt, formerly with the Obama administration, he, it's disturbing to see NBC, SNL, not just normalize, but popularize anti-Semitism. We'll get into that in the next hour. But I want you to listen to Dave Chappelle, hardcore Democrat. He's uh, no Trumper. He's never been uh, a Trumper. But he comes from the heartland of America. He'll tell you he comes from Ohio, which is now a red state. It ain't purple. Ohio is red. Listen to Dave Chappelle speak about Donald Trump. And I'm watching the news now. They're declaring the end of the Trump era. Now, okay, I can see how in New York you might believe this is the end of his era. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I live in Ohio amongst the poor whites. <laughs> A lot of you don't understand why Trump was so popular, but I, I get it because I hear it every day. It's very loved. And the reason he's loved is because people in Ohio have never seen somebody like him. 
He's what I call an honest liar. Well, I'm not joking right now. He's an honest liar. That first debate, that first debate, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen a white male billionaire screaming at the top of his lungs. This whole system is rigged, he said. And across the stage was a white woman, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, sitting over there looking at him like, no, it's not. I said, now, wait a minute, bro. It's what he said. And the moderator said, well, Mr. Trump, if, in fact, the system is rigged, as you suggest, what would be your evidence? Remember what he said, bro? He said, I know the system is rigged because I use it. I said, God damn. Spot on. And then Dave Chappelle, now been branded an anti-Semite by the Anti-Defamation League, who speaks truth, you may not like what he says, but I'm telling you, he cuts right to the core. Again, he's from Ohio. Ain't from the West Coast or the East Coast. Talk about Donald Trump and taxes, not paying his taxes. No one ever heard someone say something that true. And then Hillary Clinton tried to punch him in the taxes. She said, this man doesn't pay his taxes. He shot right back. That makes me smart. <laughs> And then, if you want me to pay my taxes, then change the tax code. But I know you won't, because your friends and your donors enjoy the same tax breaks that I do. And with that, my friends, a star was born. No doubt about it. And then, of course, the charge of Russian collusion. No one had ever seen anything like that. No one had ever seen somebody come from inside of that house, outside, and tell all the commoners, we are doing everything that you think we are doing inside of that house. And he just went right back in the house and started playing the game again. The Democrats were sore losers. I'm a Democrat, I'm telling you, as soon as he won, they started... Started saying all that he's colluding with Russia, he's colluding with Russia. It was very embarrassing as a Democrat. Very embarrassing. You see? And because uh, he defended Trump last night on Saturday Night Live, in a limited capacity, he's still a Democrat. Oh, he's catching all kinds of grief. You know, oh, how could you say those positive things about Trump? Because they are true. Look, I'm an ever-Trumper. I was the first here. Now, all of a sudden, let's see who, oh, no, no, not Greg Kelly. He's standing strong. Not Michael Buttigieg, Rudy Giuliani. He took a bullet for Trump. That's right. Not uh, James Golden. Uh, not Mark Levin. But a few others. They're looking at my little tugboat here. The SS Never Trumper Rhino. And they think they're going to. Think they're going to get on board, huh? Think again, Peter King, Bo Deedle, Candace Owens. Drown! Because I know as soon as you get on the SS Never Trumper that I've been the only captain of here. I have no mates. Uh, I have no bosuns. Nobody on the deck. We'll capsize. And then I'll go down to Davies Jones's locker with you. And you'll find somebody new to support. Can't trust them. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Stan the Man in Forest Hills. Your turn to be heard here in WABC, Stan. Tell-
tell me, your sound effects man should get an Oscar. Does he have Trump passing gas or something like that? <laughs> I mean, you got a great sound effects man there, pal. Well, we, uh, I have to praise Frank Morano's board operator. I hate to do that, Matt Blaze, who sounds like he is a fugitive with his many aliases. He's got a tremendous thing. Anyway, uh, let me say this about uh, the one person you haven't mentioned about Trump and, those, and, and the guy from Florida. That's the joker in the room, Vice President Pence, the one guy who knows and spoke to that brain-dead idiot when he was in the house sitting there, and he's in trouble. They're going to try to get him to hang him, and he's sitting there, make the changes, and I'll come in and say he did nothing. That's the only guy that could put the nail in Trump's coffin, who knows exactly what he said to him and what he didn't. Do you think he'll do that? I mean, he's going to have a news conference next week. Uh, he's going to be on CNN with a town hall. What do you think? Does, I know the vice president. He is a very nice Christian guy. He's decent. He's been in he was Congress for 30 years. But will he go after Trump? He's going to run. The question is, does he have the guts or does he have the nuts? I don't think he has either. But the question is, will he go after him? And him and DeSantis would be a good team. What do you think of that? Well, this is what Donald Trump is banking on. Just like Ronald Reagan, 1978, was out there when Jimmy Carter was president and the Democrats kept their majority in the House and Senate. And a lot of Republicans said, oh, Ronald Reagan, see, you're too conservative. You're like a Barry Goldwater Republican. You, you can't be our president. And they all ganged up on him. A problem was, Stan, they all think they can be president. So Pence will run his own race. DeSantis will run his own race. Just like in 78, you had Bush 41 who thought he could take out Reagan. You had Bob Dole thought he could take him out. You had Baker from Tennessee thought he could take him out. Weicker from Connecticut. They split the moderate vote. And who ended up with the nomination? Guess who? That's right. Ronald Reagan. Quickly, quickly. Yes. The one person that talked, the $2 talk show host that follows you, wasn't he one that supports Trump? You didn't mention his name. Carter. Because I can't stand Oh, no, no, anymore. no. Uh, Stan, he was, he, t to be honest with you, he was the first one here at WABC. There are a lot of pretenders who said that they were supporting Donald Trump. Does he support him? Uh, I don't know if he does now, but I know he was the first to support him when Donald Trump was running. He came back from Nassau County uh, from a, a Trump uh, rally. Uh -huh. he, he said, Donald Trump is going to be president of the United States. Everybody <laughs> said, you're crazy. He goes, I'm telling you, he's going to be president of the United States. He's a two-dollar talk show host, my friend. I used to like him. What happened? To, what happened to three dollars? Two dollars? You can still less than that. I banned me because I told them uh, that uh, Trump had a, a rally, and every remember they were saluting him, giving him that sign. I said it reminded me of Hitler in the 1930s. Uh, Hillary Clinton said the same thing. Other people mentioned and I got banned from his show for saying that. Can banned, you believe it? Banned. banned. That's censorship, my friend. You banned don't even do that. in the USA. Do you realize what song that was, Banned in the USA? <laughs> That's right. Oh, you no. got to find Banned in the USA. How could they ban Stan the Man? He did because I said that. And Hillary Clinton said it. She said it in her way and some other people. But I got banned for saying that. He asked me to apologize. I would not. Wait. 
You did not apologize no, to a not. black man, Stan. <laughs> you know, it as has a de- to do with the black. I know, man. but as a Democrat liberal, come That's on. That's what I am. That's what I you am. You have to have white guilt, Stan. <laughs> None at all, my friend. By None the way, now let me ask you a question, Stan. Yes, sir. I yes, noticed sir. that yes, Frank Morano has been very quiet about this. Right. He has not. He was on the good ship, uh, Trump. Uh, uh-huh. One of the initial ones. I remember he went to Trump Tower to encourage him to run for governor against Andrew Cuomo. Is that true? Yes, he did. He was one of right. the Republican. Maliotakis was there. I think right. Joe Borelli was there. They wanted him to run for governor. Right. And Roger Stone said, why do you want to run for governor? You could be president. And Trump said, I'm going with you, Roger Stone. These guys want me to knock myself out running for governor against Cuomo. Uh I think Roger Stone knew a hell of a lot more than Frank Morano, Joe Borelli, and Nicole Maliotakis because he listened to his wartime consigliere. Did you see what happened to Roger Stone just yesterday, Stan? Is that true? What really happened? Yeah, yeah. really? Somebody yeah. tried to run. I love your sound effect on that. Oh, right? yeah. Here it goes. So he's uh, there. You have a screaming person going, ah, but you don't have that. You're well, right? uh, Stan, he was in his Ford Explorer. He was doing a TV interview. He had already spoken to Trump at Mar-a-Lago right. two days before to prepare for the war. Right. Because he's the wartime consigliere. And DeSantis is like uh, the Turk. He's Salazzo, man. He's the young guy. I like your an- uh, analogies with the Godfather, man. You put them together. You have that. You must have been sitting in a group figuring that out. Well, think of it, Stan. You know that you look at Sonny Corleone, the hothead. <laughs> right? That's Trump Jr., right? Donald Trump Jr. Yeah, he's... but he's not going to get knocked off at the toll booth, right? Well, <laughs> he might get eaten by alligators in the Everglades. I mean, remember, this is DeSantis land. That's true. Did That's you ever true. take that road across the Everglades to Fort Myers? You go from Fort Myers to the West Coast, and you go all the way to the East Coast, Fort Pierce. I didn't Pierce. go that far north. I've always stayed south. It's called, uh, it's called the Gator Trail. There are all these hungry alligators. I could easily see all of a sudden uh, you have uh, Donald Trump Jr., Immediately being called to the West Coast of Florida from Mar-a-Lago. He goes along that gator trail, and all of a sudden, your son was eaten up by alligators. <laughs> His SUV blew out, and there was nothing we could He's do about it. blame the Democrats on that. That's you right. Know that. There's nothing we could do. There's nothing we could do. <laughs> but what is your prediction in terms of Frank Morano? He's been silent on this issue. Uh, Mr. Morano, remember, deals in UFOs. <laughs> and deals with uh, uh, between uh, 1 and 6 in the morning, as you do sometimes. Uh, I think he will stay silent. I think he will keep his mouth shut, wow. as will uh, Mr. Carter, because they're all $2 talk show hosts or less. Well, I think that's Better to be a $2 talk show host than a $3 talk show. If I had $2, they'll take it, right? They'll take it. Let's go to Muncie, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Muncie. So, Curtis, I think you're on to something with Roger Stone. Did you know that he was on his way to his uh, political show, Stone Zone? Yes. Which, by the way, is hosted by the TV show, TV uh, uh, station of Mike Lindell. That is right. Very interesting. And I see a parallel here. And I always wanted to ask you about this. You know, when you were hit by the taxi after you would run your way to, uh, you know, to host your uh, Ed, infomercial, right? The political infomercial. infomercial from twelve infomercial. noon to one here at WABC. Right. 
I just can't believe that it was an accident. I can't believe it was an accident. I know you said it's an accident, no fault of the taxi, but, Curtis, you know you're in New York. Well, the taxi driver seemed like he was smoking a blunt. It looked like de Blasio (laughs) and Eric Adams was in the back seat. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, nothing suspicious about that. No, 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 no. You know, hey, look, the last time I was in a taxi, right, I got shot five times with hollow point bullets. Right. I don't have luck with yellow taxis, that's for sure. Mm. But I'm telling you, Muncie, I know how the Donald is. I've had a love-hate relationship. He's ready to go to war. When he goes to war, he reaches for uh, the guy, the Grim Reaper of the Republican Party. Roger Stone lives on the dark side. He knows everyone's um, uh, proclivities, eccentricities, freaky-deaky behavior because he's engaged in it. You know, they all talk amongst one another. They rat him out to Roger Stone. And you know Roger Stone, he's always been loyal. Nobody can question his loyalty to Donald Trump. Nobody can he question his loyalty. Yeah, they didn't, couldn't get him to flip the no, FBI, nothing. Uh, no. Yeah, uh, now, very good friend of Roger Stone is Frank Morano, the other side of midnight. But I have not heard Frank take a position on this, Muncie. Mm. It's a little troubling. Yes. You know, now he'll say, well, you know, I have a baby now, you know, Carmine soon to be one. You know, I really can't take a risk. You think that he, like everyone else, has jumped off the good ship SSS Trump and is swimming in the direction of the SS Rhino piloted by me, you know, the never Trumper, you think? Well, hey, Frank Morano, there's no life raft for you. Look at all these. I mean, God, I'm almost feeling sorry for Trump, right? Me? Oh, let's not get too carried away. Let's go to Tony calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tone. Hey, man. Um, Just a quick uh, little uh, thought I was having. So it's like Christmas or New Year's in the Trump uh, household. And he's got his Zionist Jew son-in-law sitting across from his Lebanese Arab son-in-law. And then in the middle, we have, like, all the snowflakes of the Trump family. This has got to be the most amazing place to eat dinner in the world. What are your thoughts? I would agree. You know, as much as um, I have not been a supporter of Donald Trump, and I really don't like uh, the decor of, like, the Mar-a-Lago thing, you know, that whole Trump Tower thing, you were right. Kushner, who I went to war against his father, uh, but that would be great there. Then you got the Lebanese guy here. I'd want to ask him, hey, are you a Mao militia? You support that? You know, because I was in Beirut. I saw the green line there. I saw the Muslims on one side. The Amal Christians on the other side slitting each other's throats. I'd say, whose side are you on, pal? And I think I would end up starting a civil war amongst the Trumps. That's why there's no chance, Tony, I would be invited to dinner. Can you imagine them saying, guess who's coming to dinner, Donald? The guy with the red beret. Say, oh, no. Not the never Trumper. Not the head rhino. Not. Curtis Sliwa! WABC! Check this out! No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Sliwa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Ah.
Oh, you know who the protege of the godfather of soul, soul brother number one, James Brown. That was uh, Al Slim Shady Sharpton, the boy preacher from Brownsville. Never ran, never will. Stone Avenue Projects. He had the pompadour just like, oh, yeah, James Brown. Do the mashed potatoes. He did the moonwalk before that pedophile on a pedestal Michael Jackson did. And uh, he was a Republican. A lot of people don't realize, yep, 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 James Brown. I saw him in Jet Magazine, Ebony Magazine. I wonder if James Golden even knows that, you know. Oh, that's right. He was Urkel at the time at Jackson High School in South, Southeast Queens. And uh, he was not hip. He was not fly, you know. He was Urkel. It was him and one white boy in 4,000 guys in Jackson High School. That was a tough school. You know who they picked on first? Not the white guy. They picked on James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. But anyway, I digress. So uh, you had uh, James Brown, Godfather of Soul, Soul Brother number one. He was featured in Ebony Magazine, Jet Magazine. He was in the Eisenhower White House. He supported Nixon versus Kennedy. He was hardcore Republican like Jackie Robinson, who broke the color barrier was. He was a Rockefeller Republican. That's when blacks were predominantly Republicans. And then, boy, things went south quick. You like that analogy? Went south quick because the Republicans said, we need the South. So we got to hook up with Strom Thurmond. He was almost like that far from wanting to lynch blacks. And then he kept him alive all those years, the perv that he was. Every time a female would walk by, he'd latch on to their tuchus. You know, they had to pull his arm off, right? They had to defibrillate it right next to him. Should have let that guy die. You know, there's a thing called term limits, right? But anyway, I digress. So why am I playing, play it loud, say it black, and say it with pride? Because when I looked at Dave Chappelle years ago, you would look at Kyrie Irving, Dave Chappelle, and especially Kanye West, a.k.a. Yeezy, a.k.a. Ye. And uh, I remember it was, um, I would say, really, that uh, Ye, Yeezy, Kanye West, really got his first opportunity on the Dave Chappelle show when he was singing his, uh, I'll call it, uh, bubblegum uh, rap. Wasn't quite like Will Smith, that kind of bubblegum rapper. But he, he was not a hardcore rapper. You know, South Side of Chicago. He was like Frank Morano or Mama Luke. Remember, he would always be talking about his mommy. Just like Frank Morano. Uh, and it was really Dave Chappelle gave him a big opportunity. And then he blew up after that. And who knew, starting in 2018, he's at TMZ, Kanye West, doing an interview, Harvey Levin. Last time I looked, uh, Ken... I don't know if he had a brisk or he didn't have a brisk. You might know because you've been known to jump in hot tubs from time to time. But uh, uh, he was interviewing him at TMZ, and Kanye West was talking about how he admired Hitler, and he, he really thought the Nazis were right, and they cut that and left it on the cutting room floor. So imagine you're Kanye West. You're saying, wow, Harvey and his staff, most of them are Jews, and I'm saying this, and they don't seem to be perturbed. So every interview, he kept saying this, right on up to Tucker Carlson, right? Where did it end up? Right on the cutting room floor. He's thinking, maybe they agree with me, right? Oh, my God. So um, we all know about Kyrie Irving. By, by the way, let me give you the update on Kyrie Irving. He had 30 of those screwballs at Barclays Center, you know, the black Hebrew Israelites protesting for Kyrie. 
Kyrie's right. We're the real Jews. There was no Holocaust. Oh, I'm sure Kyrie and the Nets were real thrilled with that demonstration of support. But uh, Kyrie Irving's suspension will continue past the minimum five, you know, because he's having all these meetings. And accordingly, they're very productive. You know, he's swearing on the Torah and the Talmud that he's not an anti-Semite. Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner who should have... uh, who should have impaled himself with a menorah. You know, oh, I, I met with him. Oh, he doesn't have an anti-Semitic bone in his body. Really? So we leave it to Dave Chappelle, because I remember seeing Dave Chappelle hanging with his homie, Kanye West, at his log cabin in Montana. I mean, hey, let's face it. You're going to fly all the way to Montana. You're a homie, right? Two black guys in Montana? It's pretty damn brave. I know. I've been to Montana. Not only do the whites not like you, but the Indians don't like you either. They think, hey, where there's one, now there's two, there'll be more. And this is like uh, the ultimate McWhitey-Whitey land. Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. Hey, you can have the rest of the country. Just stay out of here. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, so Dave Chappelle did the opening uh, monologue on Saturday Night Live. Remember, there was a threat that some of the writers uh, would uh, abandon ship. Dave Chappelle doesn't need writers. The guy pretty much writes his own stuff. I'm sure they had to put this through, you know, to make sure it wasn't too over the top. But the guy pretty much knows to walk up to the line without falling off. I want you to hear, as he is talking about, remember, he's already been labeled uh, anti-Semitic for his monologue, slammed by the Anti-Defamation League, as they say he's normalizing anti-Semitism. Hey, ADL, you want a big, fat donation from him, just like uh, you got from Kyrie? Imagine, Kyrie never met with them. He sent a surrogate. He gave him a check for 500000 They were happy with You know, they fit the definition, the stereotype definition of Jews, right? It's like, oh, give them the money and they'll forget everything. Anti-defamation, get the hell out of here. Let's listen to Dave Chappelle. He's a brother. He knows Kyrie, but more importantly, he's homies with Yee, a.k.a. Yeezy, a.k.a. Kanye. He said, I can say anti-Semitic things, and Adidas can't drop me. Now what? Adidas immediately. (laughs) Ironically, Adidas was founded by Nazis. I guess the students have passed the teacher. Now, what is he referring to? You remember when Kanye West, full of his anti-Semitism, busting his buttons with bridges and a lot of pride, was saying, Adidas ain't going to drop me, remember? I could say anti-Semitic things and Adidas can't drop me. Now what? Now what? There went a billion dollars. <laughs> there went a billion dollars. Now what? <laughs> then, remember Kanye. Oh, man, what a corker. Kanye was talking about how a lot of people say he's ill. He's illin', you know, and chilling. You, you, you understand that, Ken. Illin' and chilling. You understand what that means? Okay. 
that he's bipolar disorder, manic depressive. He might be all of that wrapped into one. And then remember, he was walking around with the MAGA hat for a while, and people were saying he's illing and he's chilling, and he defended that. But at some point, he did recognize that he had a problem, but he said the doctor messed him up. In fact, let's listen to uh, 83, 83, make it simple for you. The thing about the red hat that drove me to a point of exhaustion, which was misdiagnosed by a, I'm not going to say what race, what people, uh, doctor, and what hospital, and what media went to. We know I can't say that. It was a Jewish doctor. <laughs> it was a Jew. Now... I've had a gum infection and an abscess tooth, and I somehow made it through the weekend. And I wear a red hat, right? Could I blame this on a Jewish dentist? Oh, my God, what a screwball. Now, Chappelle, though, made uh, some good points. You know, a lot of people aren't going to like it. He said, you know, he defined you as being black, Italian, and Jewish. He broke the show business rules. Is this a rule? You know, the rules of perception. If if they're black, then it's a gang. If they're Italian, it's a mob. But if they're Jewish, it's a coincidence, and you should never speak about it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that anti-Semitic, ladies and gentlemen? The ADL said, again, I want to quote this. Dave Chappelle's Saturday Night Live monologue slammed by the Anti-Defamation League for normalizing anti-Semitism. Really? I thought he was stereotyping blacks and Italians there, right? Now they're going to jump on board, right? He's a comedian! Actually, he's a satirist, right? Not a, not a Satanist. A satirist. He's a satire. He's, he's giving commentary on what he sees, like Will Rogers. I'm sure Will Rogers pissed the hell out of people, you know, more than 100 years ago. So did the other satirists of that era, Mark Twain, pissed a lot of people off, right? Now he's being labeled an anti-Semite. Now, now here's Dave Chappelle talking about his friend Kyrie Irving and the Holocaust. Kyrie Irving's black ass was nowhere near the Holocaust. <laughs> He's not even certain it existed. <laughs> now, now, is that anti-Semitic ADL? My God. They had this press release out before he even finished his monologue at Saturday Night Live. That's right, Jonathan Greenblatt. Quote, this is, this is what they said. Disturbing to see NBC, SNL, not just normalize, but popularize anti-Semitism. No, if any, anything, this is like putting an antiseptic on it. By having a conversation the way a comedian does, one who does satire, one who comments on situations. Man, everyone's so stuck up. It's America, right? All of a sudden, oh, can't say, shh, don't say that. The Anti-Defamation League may be upset. Jonathan Greenblatt, formerly employed by Barack Obama. Anyway, uh, let's go to Chappelle 
uh-oh, this is the third rail. This is the one they really objected to. Dave Chappelle yesterday is opening monologue Saturday Night Live in which he says he's been to Hollywood. Well, I've been to Hollywood. <laughs> no one's y'all to get mad at me. I'm just telling you, I've been to Hollywood. This is just what I saw. It's a lot of juice. <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> but that doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? There's a lot of black people in Ferguson, Missouri. That doesn't even run a place. <laughs> so I guess some of the young people in the audience there who are Jewish are self-hating Jews, right? They understood what he meant. I understood what he meant. And his and mine politics, it don't mix. Then he talked about crazy things to say, especially if you say it out loud. You know what I mean? You might go out to Hollywood and you might might start connecting some kind of lines and you could maybe adopt the delusion that the Jews run show business. It's not a crazy thing to think. But it's a crazy thing to say out loud in a kind of like this. <laughs> so I'd like to hear from all of you, ladies and gentlemen. The Anti-Defamation League, no doubt, will have a demonstration outside of NBC Saturday Night Live. They'll say boo-hoo, you know, to uh, Dave Chappelle. They'll probably be joined by what? The transgender community, right? Uh, the non-binary community there. They're upset at Dave Chappelle. Boy, wouldn't that be an odd combination? But was there anything in that that was anti-Semitic? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like really struggling to find this. Or does the Anti-Defamation League just want attention and more donations? You know, Kyrie Irving wouldn't even meet with them in person. He sent a deputy to meet with them and then promised $500,000, as did the trillionaire Chinese guy who owns the Brooklyn Nets. So that's 500000 500, That's a million dollars. They were okay with that. Maybe he's got to go to um, Jewish civil rights camp. You know, it's like a re-education camp, right? Well, in fact, here's Kyrie who did not say as many things, obviously, as Kanye West. I mean, look at it. Look at Kanye. Look at it from his point of view, this screwball. He's doing interviews with uh, Harvey Levin, TMZ. Last time I looked, a Jewish guy, right? And he's saying, you know, Hitler was a really good guy. I really admire the Nazis. You you really believe that, Kanye? Yeah. Uh, Okay. And then you cut it from the interview because interviewing Kanye West, that's a lot of money. And that's the intro to Baby Got Back. Kardashian, right? Left on the cutting room floor. Tucker Carlson, left on the cutting room floor. You imagine him, he's going to all these places. He's saying this to everybody, including his staff. You know, Hitler was an outstanding guy. I really admire the Nazis. So instead of saying to him, what are you saying, you anti-Semite? You crazy? You nut job? Oh, it's a billionaire. You know, he's, he's not crazy. He's eccentric. Remember, when you got money... You're eccentric. When you don't have two nickels to rub together, you're an anti-Semite and you're crazy. 
it's always been the way it is. Whether you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter. You got the you got the moolah schmoolah. You got the scato. You can say almost anything. You imagine him now. He's going, boy. They were all nodding their heads back in 2018. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kanye, anything you say. Yeah, Kanye, easy. Yeah, ye, ye, ye. yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. I notice all of a sudden nobody's responding here. They're wondering, you see, they're wondering. Should I go on record and join Curtis? And then all of a sudden I'll be labeled an anti-Semite? Should I think for myself like Dave Chappelle does? Should I be independent and autonomous? I mean, he's a known Democrat, right? And many of you, you might be Democrats, you might be independent, you might be Republicans, conservatives, you might even be uh, DSA, Democratic Socialists of America. But yeah, you can. You can't think for yourself. You can freely indicate what you thought he was saying. Because the big mockers at the ADL are saying that's anti-Semitic. And I'm wondering, I'm scratching. Yeah, what Kanye West is saying. <laughs> that's anti-Semitic. Oh, wait a second, Kanye. And this, this is the kicker. Because you know he's buying into that nonsense, black Hebrew Israelite nonsense, that they're the only true Jews. I want you to listen to Kanye West talk about how... He's part of the 12 tribes of Israel, the same nut jobs out there with, you know, the medieval dress, the hoods on, the, the staffs, you know, with the big signs, 12 tribes of Israel. Jew, you ain't one of them. White crackers, you're the devil. When I say Jew, I mean the 12 lost tribes of Judah, the blood of Christ, who the race, the people known as the race black really are. This is who our people are. Yeah. Sure, sure you are. Then Kyrie, right? Kyrie, the man, he said, can you imagine Kyrie went to the meeting with the Anti-Defamation League? He went to the meeting uh, with the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, Jewish guy. Imagine if he said this. You guys investigate my life every day. And you justify it by serving your own purpose, which I honor. I would like the same respect in return. Figuring out just like anyone else. So please keep that same energy when we're talking about anti-other things. Because just because I post a documentary doesn't mean I'm anti-Semitic. And doesn't mean that I'm automatically standing with everyone that is believing in that. So it's unfortunate timing that we're in, but I'm glad that I could stand on the truth. Because I'm not afraid of these mics, these cameras. I used to be looking everyone in the eye and telling them the truth. But I'm proud of who I am. Any label that you put on me, I'm able to dismiss because I study. I know the Oxford Dictionary. You look it up, right? One of the biggest mistakes I had in being a kid was not knowing European or Western language. Until I started looking it up and understanding the definitions and why they say, if you want to trick a black person, put it in a book. I was wondering my whole life why they said that. Now I'm 30 years old and I know reading is a superpower because it helps me understand where I'm going and where I come from. Like a tree with roots. You can't be anti-Semitic because... He is the real Jew. Now, what's the difference between Kyrie Irving, uh, Kanye West, and remember who else originally bought into that? Oh, he was doing so well at Viacom, remember? Redstone, the owner-operator, treated him like uh, like he was his grandfather. He loved him. 
There was Ryan Seacrest, milk toast. You can never get Ryan Seacrest to say anything like Derek Jeter when he played for the Yankees. Interview him. Interview him for three hours. He never said anything. Who am I talking about with the schmata on his head for a Curtis Lee booby prize? He can't stop procreating now. I guess he doesn't believe in Jimmy Caps, condoms, marital contraceptions. Oh, that's right. Clarence Thomas is coming after that next. Eleven kids. This guy almost destroyed his career by what? Doing a podcast. That's why I don't do podcasts. I, 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 people say, oh, I got to come on my podcast. No, I don't. Yes, you do. W- why do I have to come on your podcast? People get into more trouble getting into podcasts because then they get edited. Then you have no control of it. Then whatever you say, uh-oh, tough noogies. And who did he do a podcast with back then but Professor Griff? Public enemy. Remember, fight the power. They were number one, second to none. Chuck D, flavor, flavor, that stupid clock around his neck. And because Professor Griff idolized Scooey Louis Farrakhan was calling Jews termites and a gutter religion, and Professor Griff said, yeah, you're, you're on, Farrakhan. So what does this guy do? He does a podcast with Professor Griff. What is his name? And what did he say? It almost destroyed his career. Except he did one thing to Kyrie Irving, Kanye West. So far, I have chosen not to do. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. WABC. Taken from the annals of my many trips all over the world, but into Williamsburg. I went to one of the relatives of the two factions of the Satmar and Williamsburg, the Titlebaum. And I was there for five hours as they were singing. And they were dancing up and down, celebrating a wedding up and down, up and down. Let me hear that. Let me hear that. Now, I can't say it's on my normal playlist, but I did find this. I actually, they gave me a CD of it. I think I was the only Gentile in the rafters. I loved every second of it because later on, they get into a frenzy. It's like electronic dance music. They keep looping over and over. It's like they're whirling dervishes as they parade up and down dancing. Men with men, women with women. The groom, he's on a chair. They're taking him up and down. I'm thinking, any minute, this guy's going to fall off. He's had his schnapps and sponge cake right now. Somehow he stayed on that chair. Oh, it's great. I mean, it's like EDM, electronic dance music. When I've been with the Lubavitch, and they're dancing out in the streets on Kingston Avenue, they have a huge stage. And in the background, they have, like, psychedelic patterns. I'm wondering, man... They dropping acid here, man, having shrooms. They're dancing for four or five hours straight. And, hey, some of you out there know I kept up with you. I was right in the middle of that, right? 
What is the name of this classic Satma wedding song? If you guess it correctly, you will win a courtesy of a booby prize. Man, this is like 25 years ago. By the way, the Anti-Defamation League taking, uh, taking Dave Chappelle to task because he asked, why do some of your people dress like Run DMC? Right? I mean, look, I see them, right? They got the hats. They don't have really the uh, leather jackets, but they got the black hat. Oh, that's anti-Semitic. It's a joke. A joke. I thought that was pretty funny. I mean, look, I wouldn't have had a program if I played all the cuts of Dave Chappelle. He was good. But, oh, my God, here he is, Jonathan Greenblatt, disturbing to see. NBC, SNL, not just normalized, but popularized anti-Semitism. What the hell are you talking about? You know, an organization like this overhypes everything, and then when a real act of anti-Semitism takes place, you've neutered it. This is free speech. This is comedic response. This is satire. Everybody uh, is so sensitive. Oh, my God. I can't say I'm a snowflake. I will <laughs> Stop it already. God, what, what did you say? Oh, my God. Let's, let's see how much this is going to cost Dave Chappelle. Why did some of your people dress like Ron DMC? Right? Funny. No. Anti-Semitic. Anyway, let's go to the phones. Hmm. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Let's go to Robert in Suffolk County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Hi, Curtis. I'll take a shot uh, one of this booby prize. Anthony Weiner said something, but I can't remember what it was that, like, almost tanked his career. Anthony Weiner? No, it was his actions, not what he said. It was his actions uh, in terms of social networking. It wasn't anything that he actually said in a speech. I mean, many speeches. He was in the well of the house. He was screaming at Peter King, and Peter King was screaming at him. That was probably the most famous uh, one because he's in favor of single-payer health care. But, no, he never said anything that uh, imperiled his career. It was more his actions with social networking. So, Robert... You lose your opportunity. Now, I want you to be very clear here. I am not like Frank Morano. I don't have alligator arms. I give away the booby prizes that say WABC, it's a baseball cap, and then you get to patch the best side of the other side of midnight, the Curtis Lee show. But I understand why Frank Morano from 1 to 5, Monday through Fridays, would not want to give out many booby prizes because it says WABC on the baseball cap. And then it says the worst side of the other side of midnight, the Frank Morano show. So I understand that. Let's go to Dan in Farmingdale. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dan the man. Yeah, Curtis, the booby question, the guy with the schmata on his head and 11 kids, would that be Nick Cannon? Yes, Yes, and remember how his career was in peril because he said such incredibly stupid things. Yeah, but he still got a second bite at the apple. Well, third or a fourth. This is how it happened, Dan. He was going, going, gone, 
And then a group of uh, rabbis, I think our own Rabbi Joe Potashnik, approached him because he's a very nice guy, Nick Cannon. I interviewed him one time for 45 minutes on the stage at the Best Buy Theater in Times Square. I couldn't get him to say anything or have an opinion at a radio conference. There were about 4,000 people there. So he sat down with the rabbis. He expressed himself. They had dialogue. Uh, he visited a number of Jewish institutions. Uh, he uh, changed his opinions in many regards. And now he is the host of, uh, oh, what is that? The uh, the uh, singer. What, what is that? The naked singer, the covered yeah, up singer, the mass singer. Yeah. You know, our own Rudy Giuliani. Remember when he was, he took off his mask and two of the, Two of the participants stormed off the stage, but not not Nick Cannon. His problem, yeah. Dan, is uh, he doesn't believe in birth control. I mean, my God, this guy's now his eleventh kid. Well, now, God bless him if he can afford to to keep them all, uh, you know, sorted out. And well, he's obviously. Uh, hopefully, he is invested properly, not in cryptocurrency. The cryptocurrency, Ponzi schemers, not in Bitcoin with those bandits, not in blockchain with those criminals. We'll give you an update on that momentarily because they're all imploding. And, you know, our own uh, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, who was getting wine dined and pocket lined by them in Puerto Rico over the weekend, he's continuing to speak the mantra that we should be the cryptocurrency center of the world, no regulations, and in fact, give them a tax shelter. Gee, I wonder why he's saying that, huh? And why his uh, his opposite, Mayor Suarez in Miami, is saying exactly the same thing. Hmm, you think they've sweetened both of them up? Hell yes, they have. WABC. So long there, uh, Matt Blaze, fugitive from law with multiple aliases. Directs the technological board uh, for the other side of midnight. Ken, uh, the runway model that uh, Frank is for toots over. Uh, and Alex, the brown-nosed producer who has his schnoz so far up to took his to Frank Morano. He can't even see straight. I mean, it's really sad. But the one thing I like about the Trump rallies, because remember, I was the first never Trumper. I was the first one you all called a rhino. The fiercest animal in the jungle, I might add. See, if you've ever actually gone to a water hole, as I have north of Cape Town, South Africa, and you watch the lions, you watch the elephants, you watch the giraffes, and you watch the rhinos. You know who drinks first? The rhinos. And they not only drink, they go into the water. They're like pigs in the trough, slopping around. The lions stay back. The elephants stay back. The giraffes stay back. 
the jackals, the hyenas, the buzzards, they all stay back and they all say to themselves, let the rhino frolic. Because if he charges you with that horn on his sh- on his schnoz, oh my God, I'm proud to be a rhino. That would be different, right, if all of a sudden, you know, you were called a lamb, sheep. <laughs> I wonder why nobody ever made that argument. Like, yeah, I'll be a rhino in the jungle. Nobody messes with the rhino. Even hunters, right, those who are out there in the wee hours in the morning trying to shoot them for the for their horn. How many of them have been killed? They find them in the morning, right? All of a sudden, they're disemboweled. Good. And we'll be talking about that a little bit on the Animal Welfare Hour coming up with my wife, Nancy. I love it when those uh, animals in the wild kill the poachers, you know, vigilante animals, especially the rhinos. They charge them. They gore them. They lift them up. They smash them down. And then they rip them to pieces. Haven't had a chance to see that. I only wish I did when I was in South Africa. But anyway, love it when uh, Donald Trump is at one of his many rallies and they play YMCA, right? Who would have ever thought years ago that they'd be playing this at a Trump rally, right? (laughs) And then, you know, fifth inning, Yankee Stadium, let's clean up the infield. It's amazing. And then there's Trump, right? He's like, you know, clapping. He's going up and down. He's got some proving white guys do have rhythm. That's why the brothers love Donald Trump. I can't tell you, I've had more arguments with brothers than I have with white guys over Donald Trump. I said, what's wrong with you, Curtis? How come you don't like Trump? Why you a never-Trumper? They give me beef. They say, yo, man, Trump's got mad money. Mad money. Notice when he had the casinos in Atlantic City, didn't they all want to do their rap videos? Where? Trump Casino, right? (laughs) Can Donald be in the video? Then all of a sudden, you know, out some shady sharp thing. Who used to pal around with Donald Trump and Don King? Isn't it good to be an American? By the way, who did time for manslaughter in East Cleveland. But then again, that's why it's great to be in America. You get away with it. And you become Don King. <sighs> that's why you can't trust any. What does it say at the start of my program? Curtis trusts no politicians because I've seen them flip-flop, pivot and shift. Today, they're sleeping with you. The next day, they're vilifying you. You know, it's it's all. You, I come to expect anything. What I want to know is, whose side is Frank Marano on? I mean, as I've explained to everybody, he was in one of those first meetings, Trump Tower, when he and others were trying to convince Donald Trump, citizen Trump, to run as a Republican candidate against Andrew Evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I for governor. And Roger Stone said, no, no, Donald, you don't want to run for governor. We've had this conversation many times. You want to run for president. And I'll bet you a lot of them in, maybe even Frank at that time, said, nah, he can't. He can't be president. Well, <laughs> And then all of a sudden, they were doing YMCA in the rallies. They were wearing their MAGA hats, right? Yeah, yeah, four more years, four more years. And then all of a sudden, one day after November 8th, 
The paint wasn't even dry. All the votes hadn't even been counted yet. The MAGA hats came off, the MAGA shirts, the MAGA jock straps came off, and a torrent of never-Trumpism began to float into the ether. The fact is that uh, Donald Trump, the candidates that he selected for the Senate, almost all these guys lost. That's true. No, you're right. I'm just, then, ki- I'm just kidding so, with you. Listen, yeah. he was an excellent president. I voted for him. I supported him. But the fact is that I think people are getting tired of that. And I think the fact that Ron DeSantis won such a big race in, in Florida. I mean, he only won by like a half a point four years ago. Uh, Congressman Peter King, don't swim over here to the SS, never Trumper. Uh, the rhino boat. Nope, nope, nope. You're, you're not going to capsize this vehicle. Remember what happened to Roger Stone just yesterday? The wartime consigliere of Donald Trump after he had that sit down in Mar a Lago. Three days before the wedding yesterday, the president, former president, got the call from Roger. He said, Mr. President, I just got T-boned by an 18-wheel tractor-trailer blocks from Elvis's mansion. The war is on. It's the Turk. It's Salazzo. It's DeSantis. I want to see whose side Frank is going to be on, huh? Is he going to be a fair-weather friend? Anyway, let's go to George, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, George. Oh, yeah, I'll stick to the topic that your call screener uh, let me in about an hour ago. But uh, my thing with Stan is, uh, you know, I have no problem with his opposite views or whatever it is, but I have a problem with his nastiness, which he really is a very nasty person. And um, it's getting to the point where I don't want to even listen to the radio station anymore because he's managed to creep into every show. And I agree with what Dominic did, and it's not censorship because – Nobody has to take anybody's call if they don't want to. You know, I mean, I've been refused before. So anyway, I love you. You are so entertaining and so smart, and you're a great solo pilot here. I think you fly a show very well by yourself, and I just – I've been in – I leave you on at night when I'm sleeping. I, yeah, you're, listening, you're playing when I'm asleep, so I don't miss anything. To the break of dawn, but let me see. I've got to be like King Solomon now. In one hand, I have George by the leg. In the other hand, I have Stan by the leg. Which person do I let go into the gully? Which person falls into the gully and there is no return? I was born in Brooklyn Hospital. Does that help? Oh, I was born there. Dr. Duckman hit me on my duper, my and I've been talking ever since. And Dr. Anthony got me, and he got my three brothers, and one of my three brothers, the youngest of the three, hmm. uh, was born in the same year wow. Uh, wow. on June 1st, so a little later than you. Wow. But, uh, this is this is very South good. Avenue. We have That's something in common. Now, what, what high school did you go to, George? Well, I went to Loyola in Manhattan, actually. Um, you, you, but then I what, living what, in New Jersey. Wait, you went to Loyola? Yeah, I know all about the Jesuits. Tell me. The Jesuits kicked me out to the curb. They shined their boots on my backside. Slowly I turned, step by step. George, you went to Loyola. You are persona non grata. 
There I was, student government president in 1972, my senior year. There was a possibility of going to Brown in Providence on a partial scholarship for environmental science because I was the top recycler. Yeah, before they even had the term recycling. Wasn't for my academic achievements, I can tell you that. And I fought the Jesuits, and I lost. It was Father Alexander, the headmaster, and then there was the prefect of discipline, who I hated, I loathed, I despised. They didn't want me to be president of the student council. They wanted a guy named Anthony Messina. He was the jock, son of a doctor, right? Eh, very good, nice guy, but not a courtesy. I was a rebel with a cause. Growing up in that time, we were told, don't trust anyone over 30, and I didn't. From time to time, the Berrigan brothers would come and lecture at Brooklyn Prep. As you know, they were very radical, anti-war. But that was the good thing about the Jesuits. They were open to all ideas, all concepts, as long as you studied, as long as you could come in and actually cite data when you would spew your nonsense like I would constantly do. You know, Mr. Sliwa, don't try to dazzle us with your rhetoric. Where did you get that preposterous notion from? Uh, 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 well, I had the Bazooka Joe Bubblegum first. Man, was really good. And the Topps baseball cards, and I read it off the back of a Topps baseball card. Out of here! You're going to Jug! You know what Jug was? Justice under God. This is like, you know how they're, they're protesting uh, what they call being in the Bing solitary confinement on Rikers Island? This was solitary confinement. You were in a room. It was usually with a brother, a Jesuit brother. They always uh, had low self-esteem. As I would tell them, i say, hey, Mr. French, you have low self-esteem. And Mr. French would say to the class, oh, Mr. Slee was going to explain to all of you why I have low self-esteem. i said, Mr. French, you know why you have low self-esteem? Because you're not a priest. You're just a brother. Bang! There went my head swirling around my shoulders like Linda Blair in The Exorcist. You have weekly jug. And when you would go in a jug, they would give you a single piece of paper. And it had no margin. You had to make a margin with a ruler. And if it was one little smidgen off, you'd get another week of judge, jug. And then at the top, you had to put J.M.J., Jesus Mary Joseph. And if you said, well, Jesus was a Jew, Joseph was a Jew. That's it, perpetual junk. You think I gave the Jesuits a hard time? You're damn right I gave them a hard time. So we had a plebiscite because I believe in plebiscites not to wear jackets and ties. One of the reasons that people would send their sons, the lineage, I had no lineage because there was no one in my family, you know, yeah. Most of them were Irish, so you, I'm not Irish. You could tell. Uh, but a guy named John Sexton, yeah, John Sexton muscled me in. John Sexton was from the Irish Riviera in the Rockaways. He had been the debate coach at St. Brendan's when my sister, my older sister, who just had her birthday, happy birthday, Alita, uh, she was on the debate team, and they would actually practice at the kitchen table in my mom and dad's house in Canarsie, because then on the weekends they would travel and debate, and they were very good forensically. And 
John Sexton was a debate uh, coach. And I would watch. I was mesmerized. And he said to my mother, Francesca, when Curtis is of age, you give me a call. We got to get him in the Brooklyn prep. And at that time, I was going to public school, PS 114, then Bill C. Junior High School. And then all of a sudden, I started chasing skirts like a lot of guys do when uh, the hormones are crashing through their cranium, right? And my, 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 <laughs> my 90s became 70s, became 60s. My mother said, Whoa, Curtis, you're crashing. You're in the SP, three-year SP. We got to rescue you. I'm calling John Sexton. She said, John, this is like right out of The Godfather. Remember with the, with the guy, uh, who was that, the, uh, <laughs> the Undertaker? You know, he owed a favor. My mother owed him a favor. He muscled me into Brooklyn Prep. I took the, there was a special test. You had to take, like all the specialty tests you have to take that the Asians wanted to keep in place because it was prejudicial towards them. They're doing so well, and then they wanted to discontinue them in the public high schools. You know, Stuyvesant, Brooklyn Tech, uh, Bronx High School of Science. That's the way it should be. There was a special test to get into Brooklyn Tech, to Brooklyn Prep, not Tech. Always mistaken for Brooklyn Tech. You know who went to Brooklyn Tech? John Katzmatidis, Anthony Weiner, and a hell of a lot of other guys. He used to have 4,000 guys there. And you know what I didn't like about Brooklyn Tech? Because we'd run into them on the subways. They had the slide rules. They had the compasses, which was like a knife. And they had the right to carry around those weapons to defend themselves against the homies. Because they had to run like crazy on the G train through Fort Greene Park to Brooklyn Tech. I can't tell you how many of them became victims along the way. But I digress. So we organized a plebiscite not to wear jackets and ties, and we didn't. And then all of a sudden, Father Alexander, who was the headmaster, called me in. He used to smoke those Chesterfields unfiltered. You know, <sighs> what did I tell you? I knew you'd be on the outside looking in when we first accepted you because of John Sexton. We're going to give John another opportunity to re-educate you. We're not going to kick you out. Normally we would kick you out for this. Stop the nonsense. Or you're going to be on the outside looking in. You know me. Ah, Don't threaten me. I didn't say it. So I went out and I kept organizing. And one day I walk into the halls of Brooklyn Prep and Crown Heights, which is now Medgar Evers. By the way, the education you got in Brooklyn Prep, ten times better than Medgar which is a city college. And it was a sign. Curtis Lee was no longer student government president. I said, no, no problem. I can do this underground. You know, these guys will listen to me. You know, it's like, it's just democracy. We had a plebiscite and an initiative. And so there were outbreaks where people refused to wear the jackets and ties, and they held me responsible. And then one morning I'm coming in, and there's a sign right in the student bulletin board. Curtis Lee was no longer a student at Brooklyn Prep. And the prefect of discipline, who always wanted me, man, he wanted me out. You come with me. Clean out your locker. I clean out my lock, and I'm looking at all the other guys. They wouldn't even look at me. It was like I was a leper in a leper colony. I thought they were going to walk out in solidarity with me. To this day, none of them have even called me. But I learned a lesson. There are consequences for your actions. And, boy, I learned a lesson. You take a principled stand, 
There's a price to pay. Don't be a little mamaluke, a little cryberry, a little stunard, Ken. You take a principled stand, you lose, and there are ramifications. And from that day forward, I always took risks. Sometimes I won, sometimes I lost. And when I lost, never felt sorry. Just said, hey, you win some, you lose some. It's like at the track, right? How many guys lose at the track and then they're miserable the rest? If you are going to be a sore loser, don't bet. Don't be like Frank Morano. You know, he goes to Borgata there, you know, they, he's snoring everything. And they, they, you know, oh, come, come we'll, we'll give you an au pair for little Carmine. Your wife, Rachel, will have uh, unlimited shopping uh, opportunities, right? And then he's, he's shooting craps for like three straight days. He just talked about next week, I'm going to Atlantic City. I'm going to Atlantic City. How many sucker listeners will be following him and losing all their money? He's an old-fashioned schnorrer. Anyway, let's go to Al in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Al. Hey, Curtis. How you doing? Great show as always. Uh, I heard about the Tuesday. I wanted to say a couple of things if I could, if, if you would allow me. Uh, hold on a second, Al. Hold on. Uh, what is your expertise? Are you a dentist? Are you a dental technician? Are you a Santaria priest? Are you a voodoo doctor? What is your uh, credentials? You're in. You're in. If you got half a chicken, all right? Here's the story. Is it your upper or your lower? It is my upper. All right. Well, unfortunately for you, long-term, the longer you keep this, no good, not a long-term horizon. Here's why. There's no doubt about it that any upper uh, tooth uh, abscesses, eventually, if you're really elderly, but you're not, you're young, uh, they cross the blood-brain barrier and actually are quite possibly contributing to Alzheimer's. They really, really believe that. No, no, no. Hold on, Al. You mean I'll end up like our President Joe Biden? Yeah, find me a dentist right now. Find me a dentist right now. I got to get out of here. Today, he was in... He was in Cambodia, and he would say, I want to thank the good people of Colombia here for making this possible. Mr. President, this is Cambodia, Southeast Asia. I want to thank the people of Colombia for making this. He said it twice. Al, are you suggesting that I'll be mumbling and stumbling around like Joe Biden? I got to tell you this. The best way to avoid it is knocking out night work. That's, but you can't do that because it's your schedule and Frank's schedule. But people that don't get a full seven or eight hours of sleep don't have time to form new memories. It's only the seventh or eighth hours that occurs. And you're going to be for 40 years on two or three hours of sleep at the most, right? So that's one thing you have to acquire, more sleep. Do you walk at least two miles a day? The people that walk two miles a day or more all have less Alzheimer's, okay? More sleep, wait, wait a second, wait a second. More sleep, Al. There are a number of programs that I can listen to at, here on WABC that put me to sleep. Are you suggesting that I, I listen to it? Because, man, they are boring. And they will put me to sleep, like, in, within two minutes. Oh, the um, lectionary in Nevada, four other votes have come in. And let me give you the percentages. Is that what you're suggesting, Al? I listen to some of the other programs here at WABC? No, 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 no. If you want to go to sleep, you go down the dial, and you know that. You'll hear a certain doctor, and then you'll need a doctor to put you to sleep. No, 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 no. You know what I need to put me to sleep? You know what I need to put me to sleep? 
You know how many people have tried to have me go to sleep with the fishes in Jamaica Bay, right? I don't trust this guy, Al. Last time this happened, I got a bouquet of white lilies from a florist. A guy named Tony, the florist. There's a little card inside. It says, hoping you'll be sleeping with the fishes. And I suggested, you mean the anchovies, scallops? You know, there's a shortage of scallops. The guy said, you're a real wise guy. I said, no, you're the wise guy, huh? You want me to be sleeping with the fishes? Go for it. People say, you're crazy, Curtis. You're challenging them. I always do. Ken, you're getting nervous here. Don't go back to Eastern Pennsylvania and hide behind Larry Holmes, please. You know, you're cool. And Alex, where's Alex? He's under the desk out there. He's hiding. You know, these are Frank Morano's friends I'm talking about. Yo, yeah, Frank Morano's friends. You know, what is that? Uh, the racket report? Look at Frank. He's got that, that glow in the dark suit with the pinstripes. He looks like a button man. All of his friends in that racket report, they all try to whack me. Hmm. You know, tough Tony Federici just passed away. They had him laid out. A lot of people say, hey, you got to come pay your respects to Tony Federici, Parkside and Corona, across from Lemon Ice King. He said, are you crazy? That guy tried to have me whacked in Corona in Spaghetti Park. Are you nuts? Right across the street. Got to pay your respect to tough Tony, Genevieve's guy. Tony would go up to the roof. He had pigeon coops. That's the one thing I liked about tough Tony Federici. At the pigeon coops, the homers, the Boston baldies, like my my uncle, Uncle Vincent, used to have on the roof. And the hawks from Flushing Meadow Park would come and try to swoop in and swoop up the pigeons. And tough Tony Federici had the sawed-off shotgun, and he'd fire at the hawks and hit them. And then the Audubon Society, that's right, the little old ladies of the Audubon Society dropped dime on tough Tony. They took him away for a psychiatric observation at Elmhurst Hospital in the psych ward. Did Tony Federici blame the Audubon Society? He blamed me. Well, I sped up the process. I used my connections. Tony, tough to see you go, Tony. I remember that time I sat there at the freaking table for an hour in Parkside and none of your waiters would serve me. Nothing for an hour. So, Tony, it's good, good, good to see you. You, you, right. you lived a nice life to your 80s, right? You ripped off a lot of people. You, Penny Eggs Mangano, Vinny the Chin Gigante, his brother Louie, you all go straight to hell without an asbestos suit. Boy, you wouldn't want me at somebody's wake, would you, or somebody's uh, funeral mass? But, you know, Frank Morano. He stops at wakes, people he doesn't even know, so he can get a, a cup of coffee and a slice of Entenmann's cake. Talk Radio 77. WABC. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... 
Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Well, having my wife Nancy on board, animal rescuer par excellence is like uh, liquid Prozac for me. It calms me down, Nancy. That's, that's great to hear, Curtis. Here's some of the advice that these uh, gabons were giving me. I should have um, more, yeah, it pretty good. more than two hours of sleep a day. Hmm. Yeah, that's. Quite, I'm not sure if that's happening. Can you describe to our listeners in between shifts uh, when I did the other side at midnight and I came home, could you describe to them the position I was in for two hours before I came back? Uh, let's see. You were not in good shape, not feeling good. That's uh, right. What did I tell you? I'm not feeling good, right? Yeah, you you definitely were complaining a bit. I could barely talk. The gum was all puffed up. You would have thought that I was Jake LaMotta, right, in the Raging Bull, you know, and I was in there. Hey, you didn't, you didn't get me. Hey, hey, sugar, you didn't knock me down. Yeah, no, you, you got all your talking out, out, of, out of the way, and then you had nothing left to say once you got home. That's true. When I come home, I'm silencia. It's like I don't say anything. <laughs> exactly, except for the cats. And the cats, they come around, and, you know, they, 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 they know when my blood pressure is up, they just lay on my chest, and it brings my blood pressure. Because these callers get me so angry, get my blood pressure up. <laughs> So so thankful for all the cats and the kitties there. Get to calm me down. But, oh, there's so many issues this week infecting the animal community. I'd like to talk first because it was a leading news story. It was on the negative side. Vintage aircraft in Dallas. They were putting on a performance. And unfortunately, two of the planes, as the audience was watching, crashed into one another and crashed to the ground below, and the people perished as a result. But there was a better side about vintage uh, planes. I think in North Carolina, can you explain what happened in that vintage plane for weeks? So it's uh, in Charlotte, uh, right outside Charlotte, North Carolina, and it's outdoors, uh, houses, vintage airplanes from, uh, you know, like different uh, things related to uh, whether like wars, military service, and the, you know, the individual who, you know, it relies on volunteers working there. The individual who was surveying the premise had at some point seen little kitten heads popping up in one of these uh, jet fighters. So as soon as it was, uh, as soon as it was noticed, now they have a a resident feral cat that lives there. So what happened was apparently this cat had um, had kittens, and the kittens were being housed in this fighter jet. So when it was noticed, they they gave the mother cat uh, called Phantom like the opportunity to just continue raising them until they were about six weeks old, because uh, apparently there's like a lot of coyotes that uh, roam around in the area, and then uh, the kittens were brought in, the mother was brought in. And so, you know, I mean, it got like a lot of attention, this story about these these kittens, uh, you know, being born and and living their life in this jet fighter. 
Yeah, man, I mean, we, we see such a terrible story, a tragedy of the vintage planes crashing into one another as they were performing for the audience over the Veterans Day weekend in Dallas-Fort Worth. And then it's nice to, to read about a story like this, that the kittens were born in the seating of the vintage World War II airplane and were able to survive and live many weeks there, and now they're being adopted out. Boy, that's a really good story. Yeah, and what's what's good, too, is because the attention, like, this story got. So uh, the kittens were taken in by a local humane society, and they're, like, socializing them, getting them ready to be adopted out. And the mother, because she is... Uh, Farrell, you know, she's been uh, taken care of for many years by the people who uh, work at this museum. So now she's just going to live out her life there, but she's been fixed. And she's so again, like, you know, she she's a perfect example of when you see these situations and you just like address them like in a singular situation. So now she won't have any more kittens. So there's no worries about that. And they're taking care of her. So she has a happy life for the rest of her life. So, yeah, it really was a great story. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is the Animal Welfare Edition that you hear every Sunday night from 11 to 12, the most called into, most listened to, most requested of the many hours that I do all week long, in which at times WABC, the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. But in addition to the discussion about the mother in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, bringing a litter into the world in the seating of a vintage World War II aircraft in a hangar. Uh, a much, much bigger story, the feral cat population in Los Angeles. Can you explain that? Because Los Angeles is such a huge city. You could be driving all day long and you're still in the city of Los Angeles. Yeah, this is, um, yeah, this is a very shameful what's going on in Los Angeles. So, there is a program that just this month has been started where the city is finally taking up the task of, like the city shelter, of funding the certain portion of spaying and neutering feral cats. So they're committed to 20,000 cats. Now, it's been estimated at this point the population of the feral cats is uh, 3 million and closely approaching 4 million. So this is going to be a very difficult process trying to, you know, TNR this, you know, this level of cats. But obviously it's good that it's starting. Uh, the backstory to this, unfortunately, is that in 2010, this was initially approved. And Los Angeles had already put the funding toward this program. But it was, um, you know, there was a court challenge against it. Um, by uh, certain conservation groups, uh, these uh, bird types of conservation groups, where the concern is, oh, well, the, the feral cats, they, they attack the wild bird population. So, you know, we, so the, the rationale is we can't do anything su- to support the feral cat population. So this got held up for over 12 years, and now they're talking about just starting the program. And now there's almost, you know, there's over 3 million cats there. So the fact that this got held up and now they're just getting around to doing it is really sad. But that's also happened in New York as well. They've been holding the same, uh, you know, the same sort of solution up. So, again, it's good that they're starting it. 
Uh, it has taken them a long time to do it, but at least now they're, you know, hopefully going to be allotting the money. Nothing's going to, uh, you know, get in the way of this program happening because obviously it's taken a long time to happen. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely see. We'll, we'll see what happens here. Question, how many feral cats uh, do they estimate are in the city of Los Angeles proper? Well, so the the estimate is that it's over 3 million and approaching 4 million. Do you realize, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Nancy, the last time I was there, yeah. it's close to 4 million people there, population. Obviously, it's the uh, second largest city in the United States now. Uh, the third largest is Chicago. But... Uh, this is like a one feral cat per person. No, no, and 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 that's what's so incredible about it too that that it is approaching exactly the population of the city. So again, it goes from being this side issue to the fact that you have inhabitants that equal the population of people. So this is really a serious matter, and trying to fix the twenty thousand again, it's it's going to take a much bigger effort at this point to really start doing the right thing with this many cats living outdoors already. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Earlier this week, um, uh, in fact, it was Election Day. It was Tuesday morning at about 6 o'clock when Sid Rosenberg takes to the uh, airwaves, our morning show here at WABC on from 6 to 10. I noticed that you were in Central Park uh, for the... uh, full lunar eclipse uh, because of the blood moon. And uh, your nickname is Lone Wolf One. Could have swore you were howling at at that moon. Uh, I mean, uh, what is it about an eclipse, a full lunar eclipse, and the effect that it has on people's animal friends, uh, family members that are animals, pets? uh, what, what, What impact does that have? Well, I mean, first of all, I think anything is going to have uh, some impact because uh, especially animals that they live outdoors, everything is based on all these different natural occurrences. So to have something that's uh, such a drastic change, and and then obviously there's things that you can't see, um, like, you know, gravitational pulls that relate to that as well. But um, again, it's a unique sort of thing to happen you have animals i mean think about animals are basing so much of of what they're doing at nighttime upon the light sources they have so when you're not in the city and you're in the middle of nowhere the difference between a full moon or not makes a huge difference so for it to be you know a full eclipse yeah I I, i think that accounts for a lot of odd behavior in the animal kingdom well speaking of wolves uh i'll take you across the pond uh to uh uh, the Dutch, and apparently uh, they're trying out uh, a measure to actually make the wolves more aggressive that roam about. Uh, I, I don't quite understand this. Yeah, no, this is actually completely insane. Um, what they're what they're doing. So apparently, there there's this um, uh, pilot program that's been started in uh, this one country because. Wolves are being, uh, they're, they're too tame, right? So the concern is that they're so unafraid of humans and they're not attacking, like they're not having that normal behavior, that they could pose a serious threat. So obviously they have to, you know, act now and take them out before 
something really goes amiss. So they've doubled down on this plan to uh, paintball the wolves, and this is supposed to make them uh, fearful of humans so that they they get this interaction. Oh, every time I see a person, I could be hit, so let me run away. You know, trying to teach that cause and effect, which is completely absurd and strange and odd. So they're concerned about the wolves not attacking people. And so I'm thinking, wow, this must be a, an incredible problem, really serious. I'm looking into it. There's only 20 wolves in the entire country. <laughs> There's Whoa, 20. Only 20 wolves in all of the Netherlands? Well, in this country that's implementing this plan, there's only 20. Yeah, so uh, obviously the Dutch are using this and what? They're trying to eliminate the population? Well, certainly this country is trying to. And apparently the the gentleman who owns this uh, park preserve where these 20 wolves seem to exist has been on the record as saying wolves don't belong in the Netherlands, so he might be sort of behind, uh, you know, this plan to get them out of there. I would think so. Maybe you ought to go to the uh, little cafes, the hash houses in Amsterdam or the red light district and calm himself down. <laughs> this yeah, guy. I, mean, I, thought it was a, I thought it was like this outbreak of, of wolves, and it's only 20. I'm like, oh, my gosh. No, 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 no way. You go to Rotterdam, which is uh, the railway center. You go to Amsterdam. Everyone's familiar with Amsterdam. The people there, I can't imagine that they're in unity with this. This makes no sense whatsoever. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then, uh, wow, this is a really interesting situation about grieving. What is it that you should be doing with your dog when it comes to that point where you're grieving? Like here at WABC, we just went through uh, sitting shiver grieving, still are grieving for our lost colleague, uh, Bernard McGurk. The studio that I'm broadcasting from has been named uh, for Bernard McGurk. We now have prostate cancer awareness because Bernard did not get tested, a simple drug test that you should start getting as a male at the age of 40. But when uh, a loved one or a friend passes to the hereafter, how can your doggy friend or doggy family member be of great solace to you? Yeah, so this um, this uh, particular story uh, started out because there's a funeral home in Pennsylvania that has a dog that actually you know sort of resides there who is of comfort to people when they're coming in when a loved one has passed away. So, you know, it it sort of goes into the psychology of why it is that animals, um, you know, dogs in particular, they're so good for people when they experience a loss like that. And, you know, obviously a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, dogs really sensing that about people, but also people being unable to really put these things into words and, you know, and maybe in a lot of instances also being uh, very solitary, right? You know, you know, not wanting to interact with people. So, you know, their their pet friends are in that sort of like unique position to be there for them, and because they're so sensitive to changes in uh, personalities and and expressions like emotions and feelings. So, you know, this was going through why they're so helpful, and. You know, it was also speaking about, um, you know, whether it's a good idea to 
uh, you know, getting pets when maybe you are in a grieving process. Um, and then, the, you know, the thing that I was thinking of is, you know, how often when you have a like a pet where you have them for a long time and they pass away and then there's that inclination like to maybe want to get a new pet. And right. So there's different uh, schools of thought on that. Right. Well, let's let's yeah. look uh, at our own colleague here at WABC, still grieving, still sitting, Shiva Dominic Carter for his dog, Dolce, who passed away. He was uh, crying uh, for many days. And you can still see uh, just the mention of Dolce, his uh, his valued friend, family member, dog uh, in Pomona, causes him to tear up. Uh, would you overall say that it's better to try to get another dog, in this case a pet, uh, to replace uh, your fallen uh, a pet member or family member who happens to be a dog who's passed to the hereafter? Um, I, you know, I, I personally would think it is a good idea. Uh, you know, again, I think if, if once people have pets, it, it usually is, kind of a given uh, unless for some reason they've made some decision. Oh, I, you know, I, I don't want to have any more pets at this point, but I think most people who have pets enjoy having pets. And so it's kind of a given that you will have another pet at some point. So I don't know if there's a benefit to, you know, creating long periods of time. Like I'm not sure, uh, you know, what you're, you know, again, what it is that you're uh, creating the space for necessarily, Unless, you know, you just want some time to think about uh, the type of pet you're looking for or if you're, you want to do something maybe different. or like you know, I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. But I would suggest probably sooner rather than later because, you know, then you're just depriving yourself of the opportunity to be bonding with a new pet. And I always think, you know, pet ownership is just so great. Like, you know, why have any lapses of time if, you know, you don't need to? You know, interesting. We just finished an election cycle, the midterm elections. And I saw a lot of stories, as many of our listeners did, as you did, about many candidates, not just locally, but all across the country. And really, for the first time, I I did not see any of them in which a part of their life was accentuated to the voting population, meaning the pets that they had or didn't have. Like, for instance, when um, let's look at the last gubernatorial election when Cuomo at the time, Andrew Cuomo, was the governor 2018 running against Molinaro from Dutchess County. You remember uh, Cuomo had his uh, husky, El Capitan. Molinaro had his dog. Uh, when Trump was running against Biden, Trump doesn't have uh, pets, but Biden has his German shepherds. You notice this time around, almost there was no attention. We have no idea if any of these candidates had pets. Yeah, I, I kind of get the feeling that, though, it was really just you really knew so little about so so very many issues. I I only heard about a few issues with everybody, to be honest with you. So I think there's a lot we don't know about a lot of people. Yeah, well, I thought that should be in a, a part of it, especially in the mayoral election. We certainly made our rescue cats uh, that we uh, live with that are our family members a key a key part of that campaign and especially our push for no kill shelters now speaking of uh, governor hokel who just got elected for the first time uh, she had a bill on her desk uh, to eliminate the puppy mills i still haven't heard anything about that have you 
No, I haven't either, and I'm not sure, you know, uh, why it hasn't been signed. Uh, you know, my guess is it's probably just going to be some sort of, like, filler in between when she has a lull and nothing to really throw out there, or maybe if she has something bad to come up, then she can put in this feel-good story about signing this bill and everyone's all happy. So I'm guessing she's just waiting for for good timing. <laughs> I don't know what what the weight is. Uh, a lot of a lot of animals are going to suffer in the interim. Of course, no sure. concern, no concern at all for the animals. Now, speaking of a good feel good story, out in Long Island there was a rescue dog, mm-hmm. and apparently it was in peril not once but twice after it was rescued. Can you explain that story? Well, the the first um, peril was that it was a, a rescue dog. It was adopted. Uh, from a shelter as a rescue dog. So uh, it's a three-year-old, like a black lab French bulldog mix. So in Melville, Long Island, the uh, family that had rescued this dog had um, workers in the backyard. They were digging out the cesspool. They were pumping out the cesspool and the dog had fallen into this um, 10-foot underground pit and was you know sort of heard crying and screaming and uh they had to get uh like uh the the fire department the volunteers emergency services they were able to uh rescue this dog from this pit that was being dug and you know the the, the really i think traumatizing thing is that it was a cesspool a hole that was being dug which is frightening well, I can tell you as a kid in uh, Old Howard Beach when I would visit my Aunt Mary and Uncle Steve, they had a house there. My Uncle Steve would be in the backyard with my cousin Butchie with the hip-hugging uh, boots. Oh, God. And they had to clean out the cesspool. And oh, I re- no. <laughs> and I, I remember being with them and saying, oh, my God. I'm surprised I didn't faint and fall into the pit. Yeah, those were those were in Long Island as well, so... In New York City, what's so great is you have the sewer system, but when you live elsewhere and you have a cesspool, it's a whole other story. Yeah, well, it's incredible, all the cesspools that still exist out in Suffolk County, especially. Of course. Yeah, of course. You would have thought by now, you know, you have piped in water. Or no, they get it from the aquifer. Uh, you would have uh, sewage yeah, that's pumped out. No, you have a cesspool, a sump hole. Uh, yeah. It's almost primitive. Yeah, there's some wells, too, to some extent. Did you have that when you were growing up in Bohemia? Well, we have, I mean, the cesspool we had, yeah. And that had, no, there was no sewers or nothing like that. And that had to be cleaned out every so often. I know. <laughs> I'm aware of that. It was, and, and there's no notification, you know, like, the, you know, you don't see like a little, uh, like a notch. Oh, yeah, it's about, to, yeah, you got to call them. Like, you don't know until you know, and that's too late. Wow. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Robert calling, in fact, from Suffolk County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Hi, good evening. Thank you for taking my call, Nancy and Curtis. I wanted to talk to you about abandoned pets, especially cats. There are so many, and they're not usually neutered or spayed, and that has probably contributed greatly to the overpopulation problem and the 
a massive amount of ferals that are born outside, like in Los Angeles and everywhere. People should not be doing this. If you can't take care of your pet, try to make some arrangement. You have options. Have it with a friend, a relative, uh, someone who else who could take care of it, or give it to a no-kill shelter if you can't see yourself being able to take care of it again. Uh, Nancy, why do you feel that it is so difficult to get so many people to do just the basics of getting the pets uh, spaded and neutered? You know what? It's, it's, unfortunately, it's such a, a uphill battle, right? So when you adopt, uh, let's say, a cat from the, sh- the city shelter, as a matter of course, they're all fixed. They're going to fix them. Uh, if you get them from a rescue, there's requirements that you have them fixed. So the only ones that aren't fixed are just the ones who happen to be unfixed initially, but they just procreate so quickly. There's a lot of people who I've encountered, and it just blows my mind, but they see no reason to fix the cats. They don't have plans on necessarily taking care of them all, but they don't see any reason to do that. So they'll just have them not fixed. And then if they do have them indoors, because maybe the kids like them, the, the kids, oh, they're so cute, I want to keep them indoors. But then the minute they have that cat indoors, they don't get the cat fixed. And it starts being annoying when they don't fix it because it wants to go outside. Um, you know, it might if it's a female or, or if it's a male, it's spraying, it's scratching, it's it's yowling because it wants to get out. And then the parents are like, oh, like this cat's got such bad behavior. Oh, this cat's making a mess. Oh, this cat smells. We got to get rid of the cat. And they just put it outside thinking nothing of it. So it's this like complete lack of knowledge about what's going on there. And I, you know, and this is why the spay and neuter stuff really needs to be aggressive. Like the, the city shelters need to be going out to all of these neighborhoods where these populations of cats exist and being proactive in doing this. And then also letting the people there know who have indoor cats who they haven't fixed. Oh, we'll do that too. So they, you have to do like a lot more public outreach. They do zero outreach. So there's a reason why there's a problem. Well, for example, we have a cat now uh, called Whiskers mm-hmm. who uh, is in heat. And Whiskers is doing everything that she can to break out of the apartment. I mean, you're like Harry Houdini. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And, and, and so if you don't get them fixed, and, and when can you get them fixed? Because obviously when they're in heat, you can't get them fixed, right? How long yeah. after? Well, see, see, that's the thing, right? So um, there's the, the heat cycle lasts a certain amount of days, so it could be uh, four days, five days, it could be a week. But then after that, there's a certain period of time between the next time that happens, and that's not 100% definite. So you're kind of going by this mix of behavior. So, you know, I think I got with her, I think I I already know what, so I'm waiting for her timing, but it's sometimes it's tough to Mm -hmm. tell, but most cats, it's extremely easy. They're just, they're very loud, they're very aggressive, and again, I think when people don't understand that, they'll misinterpret that because it goes from being this cute little kitten, which everyone loves, to being annoying and screaming and yelling and scratching at the windows. And they're like, I don't want this anymore. And they just put it outside. Like they, they don't they don't put it together. What's going on? I think uh, taking a page out of that in terms of spading and neutering cats, 
We might want to suggest that the world's richest man, Elon Musk, get fixed and neutered and Nick Cannon. <laughs> because they're hell-bent on just procreating kid after kid after kid after kid. Yeah, I don't know why they just don't have cats. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. We haven't heard anything about Elon Musk, if he has any pets, Nick Cannon. I don't know. It seems like all of a sudden we were very pet-centric for a while. They would do interviews with people, whether they were infamous or famous or they were coming up uh, the ladder. And you would find out if they were pet-friendly or not. Some of them were, some of them weren't. Now, all of a sudden, it almost there's no attention paid to that at all. Yeah, no, I think uh, it's cyclical. I think it'll come back around during the holidays. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. WABC. The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Now, Nancy, this is a real freaky-deaky story. Okay. Apparently, the National Park Service begs its many visitors, hundreds of thousands of people who come to our national parks every year, to not get high on toads. You mean to tell me people grab the toads, the frogs, and lick them? Yeah, so they do, and apparently enough people do it where it requires a public warning. So, yeah, people, for some reason, they're doing that. Um, and, I mean, so, again, they, it, it's the, the toads uh, secrete, like, a toxin of some sort, right? So people are feeling something. It's just... They're suggesting what they're feeling is not good for them and potentially dangerous to their health, so they shouldn't be doing it. Now, is this sort of like uh, LSD, like acid? Yeah, exactly. It has it has effects on the nervous system in that sense. So I would say probably, and you know, but then you have people who are um, like attesting to how good it is. So. That's just going to inspire other people to want to try it. There's a whole bunch of weird things people hear about. They, you know, they, they want to go and try. So, I mean, I'm more concerned about the sort of the impact on the toads. So they lick the back of a toad or a frog. <laughs> yes. Well, I think we have a volunteer here, Matt Blaze, who is a board operator. Swear he's a fugitive with multiple alias names. I'm going to get down to it one day with... Uh, um, HR. But anyway, he's wearing his uh, Guns N' Rose shirt very proudly. I believe if Axl Rose and Slash knew that you could lick the back of a toad or frog and get high, they'd be the first ones online. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe maybe we can get him to, to lick a subway rat. <laughs> That's right. The pizza rat. <laughs> the pizza rat who took a slice of pizza... All the way up from 53rd in Lexington. That's about as low as you can go in the system. And the pizza rat took, grabbed that slice of pizza, took it up two flights to the street. Yeah, so it tastes like pizza. Oh, my. Oh, not my. Now, another story here. Abandoned and starving dog was found in a main house by new owners, and apparently that dog was almost... Dead, almost gone. Now, what were the circumstances? Yeah, it was uh, found in a closet by the new owners who moved in. 
Now, apparently, the dog doesn't belong to uh, the people who sold the house. But uh, in the interim, when it wasn't occupied before it was sold, there were squatters in the house. And I guess once they realized that they were going to have to leave, they just took their belongings and they left the dog tied up in a closet. So when the people came to move in, the dog hadn't obviously been cared for for um, you know, quite some time, and so the dog was uh, taken in, and now it's you know being assessed and getting the care it needs. But yeah, it was found in a closet by these new owners of the house. Now, this past Tuesday, both you and I, we did our civic duty in our neighborhood on the Upper West Side, <laughs> and we went to vote. Yes. And those dreaded Board of Election <laughs> workers had once again put up the big sign: yeah. "No pets allowed." And I had Tuna tucked away underneath my jacket because she's so tiny, even though she's our oldest cat, (laughs) underneath my wing. Mm. And they had no idea that I was bringing the cat in to vote because Tuna is very quiet. She stays very still. Yes. And then all of a sudden when we got our, our, our card to put into the scanner, we had to go fill it out. You tugged on me, so I thought maybe you were asking me about one of the initiatives or referendums. There were like four of them. Mm-hmm. But you were pointing next to us. There was a husband and a wife with a dog. Yeah. And all of a sudden the dog started barking at me because you know damn well the dog smelled <laughs> tuna. And tuna yeah. was getting all nervous so she was clinging on to me because naturally she could hear the dog barking. Now, yeah. there's got to be something. You are a uh, esquire. You're an attorney. Can we sue the Board of Elections? Because this is really discrimination against cats. You know what? It's. I mean, I, I think, first of all, we need to have footage. So, like, body cam footage because that's always prerequisite. You need to have the video footage. Now, as to why they they keep on penalizing our cats in particular, I'm not sure. But I think we have enough instances of this being a very targeted uh, rule, you know, at most. I mean, everyone seems to fly by but our cats. Interesting so. that Nancy was just a year ago when uh, I finished my uh, attempt to be mayor of the city of New York, failed in the process. But when we went to vote on that election day... Remember which cat we had that went global, <laughs> viral? In fact, she has a Twitter account of her own now? Yeah, Gizmo. Gizmo? Yeah. Gizmo got more attention that <laughs> night than I did. Well, I mean, she's cute. Yeah, but remember, we were told you can't come in here and vote with Gizmo. Uh, yeah, like as though that was the, the biggest threat to democracy. But they had dogs coming in. Now you oh, s- uh, yeah, they had dogs coming in. They had a and little, I, last year was a little Wiener Schnitzel dog, you know, the ones that looked like a little hot dog. And by the time we got out an hour later, after having voted our, our two votes an hour later, the sign was John. You know, I, we really got to do something about this because uh, it's two years in a row now. It is so unfair. Absolutely mm-hmm. so unfair. Yeah, maybe freedom of information request. I think so. I think so. Look, you're the uh, esquire. You're the attorney of the family. I think it's incumbent upon you 
to uh, really sue the Board of Elections as to why it is they allow people to come in with their dogs for whatever reason, but they won't allow cats in, and they've done this to us now back-to-back, belly-to-belly. But when you voted last year, you were running for city council on the Upper West Side against uh, the poster child of term limits, Gail Brewer. You voted early at a different location because, naturally, they only had a few locations open for early voting. They had no problem in us bringing Gizmo in. Yeah, no, that that was okay. Um, and, yeah, and we were there for a while, too. And then there was a lot of other uh, different pets there. That's crazy. We really, yeah, we, for the benefit of the voters, many of whom travel with their pets, uh, I think we got to make it fair and square so that if you show up with an armadillo, you show <laughs> up with a llama, you show up with a chimpanzee, a dog or a cat, that you be permitted to come in and do your civic duty and vote. Now, what was curious was when we went into the early voting location before this policy existed, like you could see the reaction that everyone had because people wanted to interact with Gizmo. So that gave them the heads up for when you voted the like the week later or whatever it was. I forget how, how many days later it was. That was election day itself. Yeah, that's when the sign got put up, and that's when the cat got banned. And we were stuck in the voting booth for an hour because I, an hour. I filled out my my sheet, yeah. put it in the scanning machine. Yeah. The scanning machine swallowed it up but didn't count to vote. And so the Board of Election official comes over while all the cameras, all the reporters are there, and turns the machine around, the scanner, and karate chops it over and over like, like it's a convenience machine that you're trying to get the bag of Frito-Lays out that's like hanging precariously after you put your dollar in. Yeah, that, that was so good because they were there for so long. And then when they, they opened up the back of the machine, that was great. And meantime, who are they Who are they preventing from exercising her right to be with us side-by-side, side, Gizmo? How can people contact Gizmo? <laughs> Let's see. Gizmo, well, on, uh, on Twitter, it's Gizmo Sliwa. Gizmo Sliwa on Twitter. And apparently <laughs> her Twitter account is bigger than mine. Yeah, she has, she has a lot of fans. She was on all the late-night shows. Her picture went viral all over the world. People were making fun of me and exalting Gizmo. You know, and surprisingly, she's still down to earth. Wow. Anyway, let's go to Dawn, who's calling from Oyster Bay. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Dawn. Yes. Hi, Curtis. Hi, Nancy. Thanks for taking my call. And thanks for doing this program. I think it's so important. And um, I'm wondering, you know, Curtis, when you were running for mayor, which I couldn't vote for you because I don't live in the city, but you you, you were going to do something about, maybe you covered this already, you were going to do something about the shelters um, in Manhattan not be, being no-kill shelters. Do you know if there's any progress being made on that? Well, first off, if you don't mind me inquiring, uh, are you a Democrat? I Definitely I'm not. If, <laughs> but I'm a vegan animal rights person. I know, but Dawn, if you had been a registered Democrat, even though I was running in the city of New York, you could have voted for me three times, four times, five oh. times. <laughs> it would have all registered. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, unfortunately, I, I'll have to do that next time. But yeah, no. In fact, the the whole concept of no kill shelters was actually started by our owner operator John Katzmatidis when he made his run for mayor in 2013 in the Republican primary. He was the first person that anybody ever remembered actually making it a major part of his campaign to have the no-kill shelters uh, in New York City. Uh, We obviously made it a key part of our presentation to the voters. And uh, unless Nancy can correct me on this, they are stubbornly refusing to change their rules and regulations as it stands now. Let's say uh, you uh, surrender your dog or your cat for any variety of reasons. Uh, If that cat is not adopted or dog adopted or forced it out within a certain period of time, normally sometimes just 72 hours, they destroy the animal. They euthanize the animal. And you know where they do it? Right in the back. And all the dogs and cats can smell it and they know it. That's why they're banging around in their cages. They're in mortal fear of their lives, and they couldn't care at these shelters. They couldn't care at all. That's disgusting. Um, what can we do about it? Can we do anything? Can John Kazmichidis do anything? He's so you know, powerful. Well, now that the midterm elections are over, I promised I would give the mayor one year because, you know, he was following in my footsteps. He well, oh, we're going to no-kill shelters. Yeah, we'll look into that. Uh, he's done Jack Daly Squad, nothing about that, like most things in the city. Uh, so I think by January, if the uh, Eric Adams administration has not addressed that, I know uh, we've had these conversations, Nancy. Uh, it's a full court press. Uh, we're just going to have to take on the um, uh, animal uh, shelter system in New York City, which is horrid, absolutely horrid. Yeah, um, the management company, uh, Animal Care and Control, they're the ones that have the uh, – they got the renewal contract a few years back. That was for 34 years. I mean, they, they have a horrible plan. They have um, – you know, there's no reason why they should have been – their contract should have been renewed, and certainly not for that period of time. They've had enough complaints against them, and there's uh, no agenda on their part to be no-kill. No so it's very clear that this let, hasn't been prioritized. Let, I think that's the first let me, question. Let me ask this question, Nancy. You yeah. said that we have a contract with them for how many years? Well, 34 years. So let me get this straight. The yeah. MVP, a guy who just hit 62 home runs that the Yankees desperately mm-hmm. want to sign up. They're going to give him a lifetime contract. He couldn't get a contract like that, Aaron Judge. How yeah, the yeah, hell yeah. did they get a contract for so many years? Well, I mean, and and it just shows that there's zero interest in protecting these animals whatsoever because anyone uh, running any type of business, you're spending taxpayer money for something that is supposed to be helping animals. That That's their entire focus, to help these animals. And their entire plan of action is to euthanize them because they're not addressing the overpopulation. So they're just letting them come in and, and killing them because they're not doing anything about it. Like, that's not acceptable. They shouldn't be getting funding for that. We shouldn't be hiring 
uh, company that has no progress. Let's, uh, look, there's companies already, there's, there's nonprofits already doing it. They're let's doing uh, right let's yeah. name and shame. There's a city councilman out there. He claims he's an animal lover. He's tatted up from the tip of his nose to the tip <laughs> of his toes. He's from Bay, Bay Ridge. What's his name again? Justin Brennan. Justin Brennan was responsible for creating a contract huh. with animal control for how many years that we have to sign off on this contract? 34. 34 years. Aaron Judge can't get a contract for 34 years. We got two things to deal with uh, January 1st. Uh, this Justin, what the hell is his name again, please? Uh, Brandon. Brandon from Bay Ridge claims he's an animal rights activist. Yeah. Ugats. That's what he is. Bupkis. And then the no-kill shelters. We got we to gotta take this on, Nancy. This is an outrage. Absolutely. All right. Meantime, if people wanted to get in touch with you, Nancy, to find out more about the Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division or continue the conversation or ask you any questions about animal welfare, how can they do that? Uh, well, we can go to the website, guardianangels.org, um, or uh, email me, nancy at guardianangels.org. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Up next, he was the first at WABC to endorse Donald Trump. He said Donald Trump will become president of the United States, and everybody laughed at him at WABC. Now you listen to all the big markets here. Oh, I was on board. I was the first Trumper. Liars, liars. Dominic Carter came from a rally. I believe it was in Uniondale, the old Nassau County uh, Coliseum. And he said to me, he said, Donald Trump's going to be president of the United States. I go, ha, ha, ha. What drug are you on? He said, I'm telling you, he will be president of the United States. And now we have all these Johnny-come-latelys and Jane-come-latelys here at WABC. No, 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 I was a Trump supporter. No, you weren't. Dominic Carter was the first. WABC. I remember the early days of 2016 after Donald Trump had come down the escalators at Trump Tower. And I think it was Uniondale, Nassau County Coliseum. There was a rally, Trump rally, which you, Dominic, went out to cover. And you came back to WABC and you said he's going to be president of the United States. And I laughed at you, laughed like everybody else did. Now, all of a sudden, they're all out coming out. I was there. I was the first one. I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Trump. I'm Trump. They were all laughing at you, right, Dominic? Yes. But but I, I don't go based on that, Curtis. I'm somewhat like you. I go on based on, I formulate my opinions based on my thoughts, not what others think or what they have to say. You were the first. Nobody else came anywhere near you in terms of the proximity of when you said you went on the record, this man will be president of the United States. Number two, we have seen uh, all of these fair-weather friends of Donald Trump now swim towards my tugboat, the never-say-Trump uh, tugboat uh, and the, uh, the rhino, the rhino boat. And I don't want to throw them life rafts and life preservers because they'll capsize the boat. They're all right. 
Congressman <laughs> Peter King, Bo Dito, Candace Owens, they're all like, they're swimming over and they say, Curtis, take us on board. No, 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 no. No, I was here many years ago. I'm, I'm actually starting to feel a little sorry for Donald Trump, believe it or not. It's like, this is all over the midterm elections, the way they're cutting? It's, it's not all over the midterm elections. The, the, this is political payback. And it's, it's a bit unfortunate. But, but when you're an 800-pound gorilla, as Mr. Trump is, there's a price to pay. And your opponents wait, wait, they lurk in the background. And when they believe that you're weak, that's when they come at you. Hmm. You know that. Just the other day, in advance of uh, the Trump wedding that occurred yesterday at Mar-a-Lago, Donald Trump's daughter getting married, he summoned in his wartime consigliere, a man you know, Frank Morano knows, I know, Roger Stone. He's the wartime consigliere. Now, it just so happens that Roger Stone yesterday was in Memphis to do a TV program on the network that has been created by the pillow guy. You know, our pillow guy. Mm-hmm. My pillow. And as he was just four blocks from the Elvis Presley mansion, right in Memphis, he was T-boned in a Ford Explorer. An 18-wheel tractor trailer smashed into that Ford Explorer. Luckily, Roger Stone survived. And according to all reports, the first call he put in wasn't to the police, was to Donald Trump. And he said, yep, the war is on. The Turk, Salazzo, DeSantis tried to take me out. You know how politics is. You know that if they're going to try to hurt Donald Trump, they are going to try to take away his support team. Roger Stone knows where everyone's bones are buried, who buried them, and will tell you, I live on the dark side. I operate in a world where I know everyone's proclivities, eccentricities. No doubt. I'm a swinger. I'm a swinger. (laughs) That's why I told Ken here, our telephone... uh, Telephone, oh uh, uh, what the hell is he? Telephone, uh, town Producer. coordinator. Producer. I told him, don't jump into a hot tub with Roger Stone. Don't do that, Ken. <laughs> but they tried to take out Roger Stone. Uh, for real? I mean, he was really in an accident? Yeah, I'll send you the article. And he gave wow. an interview, and he got T-boned, that Ford Explorer. I'm surprised he walked away. Now, Frank should know. Frank and, and Roger Stone are lifelong friends. That's why it's going to be very interesting when you're finished what Frank's position is, because he was one of the first to support Donald Trump, very uh, big supporter of Roger Stone. But I notice in listening from 1 to 5, Monday through Friday, he's taking the coat of Omerta. What happened? The cat got his tongue? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, it, this issue between you and Frank, you two guys need to go, go uh, get a room and work it out. Uh-oh, is Nancy going to be angry at me that I said that the cat get, get his oh, tongue? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to be careful. What Where the say. hell did that phrase we, come we up? Got, we got to be careful what we say. That's because, right. Because Nancy, Nancy got me. You know, I said something I shouldn't have said. About and, skinning a cat. Oh, do we have to go there again? Well, let it go. Let it go. Your prediction, this is a civil war now. Yes. 
Uh, do you believe that Donald Trump will announce on Tuesday he's running for the Republican nomination? I don't know when he will announce, but all they are doing, his critics, are making him more determined to run. That's all they're doing. And if, in fact, DeSantis uh, jumps in, you know what this reminds me of? And a lot of people forget that in 1978, Jimmy Carter, a weak president, uh, was able to withstand the midterm elections. Ronald Reagan was out there doing what Trump did, campaigning for Republicans. And Republicans won a few seats, but the Democrats still had the majority in the Senate and the House. And that's when all the moderate Republicans came together and said, we've got to take out Reagan. He's too much like Goldwater. He's, he's hanging out with John Birch's, quote, that's like the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers. That's like QAnon. And then they all ran against him in the primary. They knocked each other out, including Bush 41. And who ended up being the nominee? Ronald Reagan. Yes. So and, and that we know might, how that worked out. Right. That might be the scenario that all these alternatives to uh, to Donald Trump decide to run, like Pence, like DeSantis, and there will probably be others. Ted- I, I, I just don't see Pence uh, having the, I won't use the word I was going to use, to challenge Donald Trump. I just don't see well, it. And I, I don't think I don't think that uh Governor DeSantis has the uh you know what to challenge Trump Dominic, as well. You've been around this business long enough to know that God will come knocking on the Pence store and the cruise door. God will have a conversation. Wait, Cruz is gonna do what? He's gonna run. Run for what? President. Of what? Of well, Texas State University. I don't know. <laughs> the point is, he'll claim that God had summoned him. Remember the last time? God summoned him to run. Right, right, right. What is it? All these politicians get to talk to God. Right, right, And right. God never talks to me. <laughs> I try. You know, he introduces me to Mr. Click. So I'm telling you, Pence is going to say, I sat there with my wife, and God spoke to us. And then Cruz is going to say, again, I was with my father, you know, the one who helped Lee Harvey Oswald assassinate JFK. And we sat there in a Baptist church, and God commanded me to run. Hey, I love you, man. No, no, I don't go that way. Sorry, Dominic. No, No lip lock in here, please.